welcome the monsters among us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Allow me to officially welcome you to Season 10. I have an amazing special and a rare episode lined up for you. Tonight we hear from our museum and historical building workers. And, just like the groups before them, they didn't let us down. But that's not my only surprise of the evening. To help me sort through this tub of terrifying tales, I've enlisted aid from two paranormal podcasting giants and two good friends of mine, Cam Hale and Kyle Filson, but you may know them better as the Expanded Perspectives Podcast. All right, gentlemen, welcome to the program. Thank you guys so much for being here. This is going to be a little bit strange, a little bit uh, unusual for the show, but I can't wait to dig in. Uh, welcome to the program, guys. Dude, we are so excited to be here. Uh, we were on a, a Zoom call with you a couple weeks ago with, um, I'm trying to remember who was all there, weeks. Shannon. Did you bump yeah, your head? That was like four months ago, I believe. Was it four months ago? Oh, time just goes by Maybe so Maybe even more than that. <laughs> yeah, I don't even remember what it was called. I don't even know what it was for, but I do know that it was months ago. <laughs> yeah, he's Johnny on the spot tonight, folks. So ever ever since then, I mean, I've been waiting to get back on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, I'm fanboying out a little bit. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I got to be on Untold Hour, which used to be Bizarre States. Uh, I love those guys. Listen to them for years. And you guys fall in that same boat. I've been listening to you long before you know I started my show. So this is kind of special to me to have you guys on. And like I said, when we were warming up here... Uh, I kind of zoned out for a hot second. Kyle started talking. Cam started going. I just thought I was listening to the show. I forgot to say something back to the guys. So uh, hopefully I don't do that again. But uh, yeah, pretty excited to have you guys here. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, while you're here, and let's get this stuff out of the way here. Tell us about Expanded Perspectives. Uh, tell us about, uh, well, let's let's start off this way. Tell us how you guys got into the paranormal. Try to keep it uh, a little short. We, we have a pretty long show lined up here, but uh, a couple lines as to how you guys got into all this mess. Kyle and I met real quick. He and I met in sixth grade in a, uh, a history class and after a history class and became instant friends because he was the only other person I knew that uh, uh, was into archery. So he got we got to talking, of course, about bows and arrows, and then it led into, hey, you know, like kids will do, what do you think about Bigfoot? And that's where it started. So pretty much as long as I can remember, it's always been something that you think about, and you always used to watch the documentaries and make sure you'd sit in front of the TV any chance there was anything like that on. And that's what we hit it off on, and it's been, however old you are in sixth grade, it's been from that moment till this very second now that me and this knucklehead have always gotten in some kind of trouble together, and that's kind of how the whole thing started up. Yeah, that's how we, how we got interested in the, in the paranormal, a lifelong passion for it. And then to rewind uh, a couple of years ago before we started our, po our podcast, me and Cam both have jobs where we're alone most of the day by ourselves. So you can only listen to the radio station or any of them for so long. You know, they just keep replaying the same old songs. And if you go to classic rock, well, it's the same songs I've been listening to for 20 years. And You just told how old you were. And uh, so we listened to a lot of talk radio. And then that's when, like, podcasts were, you know, kind of coming out. And Cam was like, do you know what this is? And, I, and this was back in the day where my iPod – just looked like a long cigarette lighter, didn't have a screen or anything on it. You'd have to plug it in, go to iTunes, <laughs> download it, and then move it over. And so we started listening to some podcasts and um, found some on the paranormal. I remember loving that. And then at some point, you know, we would both listen to the same episode. We'd call each other. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And I remember one time we were just sitting around and we're like, I wonder if we could do that. You know, because this is what I, I wish that they would have asked. I, I wish they would have done it this way. 
And, you know, we were like, well, how hard can it be? Let's give it a try. So we started. We got the stuff. It took us a little while to, to accumulate the gear, probably nine months to a year before we had everything that we needed. This is back before they had YouTube videos and, and classes teaching you how to do it. And uh, we tried it. I remember the first time we recorded it, we were like, "That's how, it's going to sound that good? Man, that, I can't believe it. So then we released it. We thought, well, we'll be happy if like 30 people listen to it. And in like the first week, we had like four or 500 people listen to it. Uh, I reached out and Micah Hanks uh, had us on his program. And then we were up and running in like two weeks. We already had 3000 followers. So and then it's just here we are seven years later. That's that's amazing because, you know, so many shows struggle that first uh, six months to a year. Uh, I, I'm also lucky myself. I wasn't quite as successful, but the numbers came pretty quickly and pretty easily for me as well. I don't, maybe it's a testament to both of our product. I don't know, but <laughs> I'd like to say that at least. I believe 100% it is. I think that uh, people can feel the passion. They know what you want to, you know, that what you're trying to do. And it's relatable and you do a good job. That's yeah, the yeah. whole deal, you know, and it's just, that's it. it people like it. And you guys have a ton of fun doing it. That's that's the important thing with your show. It's it's always uh, positive energy. It's always a ton of fun, informative. Uh, it's a really great show. And if you guys out there listening haven't checked it out, Expanded Perspectives, uh, go check it out today. But it's also been awesome to watch yours grow like a, an uncontained fire. It has been amazing to see. Well, because you. after we had talked to you and then watch it go, I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. And then to watch all the all that you've gathered, I'm like, this is cool. And also, I love listening to the stories. Yes. Well, the stories are the star of the show anyway. I mean, uh, you know, it, and I'll point this out before we dive in. Uh, when I first got started, I had no idea what I was doing either. I just knew I could do certain things better and I wanted to try it out. And I reached out to a handful of people and the first people were actually you guys. And uh, Kyle, you wrote me back a long email. It was like a couple of weeks later. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe you wrote me back like this big show. You're Did you get real detailed about what you need? <laughs> I, I mean, it was very helpful information. It, it wasn't like blowing me off. It was like five, six paragraphs worth of information. So maybe that's the reason I'm here today. So that Man, you're, you're here because you're doing a fantastic yeah. show. And yeah. I, I do remember emailing you. And I've emailed lots of other people the same way. I knew that. Like, I'm not one of those people that's like super competitive when it comes to stuff like that. Like, if people t still today will email me, I don't mind telling you how we do it, what we use. You know, I don't mind sharing that information. And if anyone out there is listening and thinking of starting their own, because I remember when we first started, I remember people were like, what are you doing? And I wouldn't even say podcast. I'd say internet radio because they didn't really know what it is, where now everybody knows what a podcast yeah. is. There's millions of them. But if you were going to start today, the first thing and the only thing I would really tell you before we change subjects is just be yourself. The reason we have so much fun is we don't take ourselves too serious. Like, I'm not a researcher. I'm just a guy that has a love for the paranormal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I try to do the same thing, same thing here. Uh, I try to keep it creepy, try to keep it uh, a little bit serious, but at the same time, these are all legend. These are all folklore uh, stories. Some of them are real, some of them are not. Anyhow, what do you guys say? You want to get started? Let's, uh, we, I have so many calls to get through tonight. And tonight is our museum special, which is uh, we start off every new season with a special uh, episode. And this one is museum workers, people work in historical buildings, uh, that sort of thing. So uh, I got a, a lot of, of entries here, a lot of places all over the country, a few out of the country. And surprise, surprise, Texas is in here a number of times. So you guys are you're in good company here. So our first caller of the evening comes to us anonymously, but from Cam and Kyle's state of Texas. Hey, Derek. Got a call for the museum episode. This isn't actually my story. It's a friend of mine's story. He 
started listening once coronavirus started. Needed something to do. I told him about your podcast. And he told me a story about he works at a firefighting museum in Beaumont, Texas. He's been working there for about three or four years now. And every so often they would have kids come in and they'd be able to stay the night. Well, when they did that, they'd always have one of the workers stay the night too to make sure they weren't getting into anything and all that. And there's an apartment in the top that's separate from the museum and it's mostly meant for the curator or whoever's going to be there for the, the night with these kids that get to stay the night. Well, he was sitting there with the kids, told them all the firefighting stories I wanted to hear. And one of them asked if the museum was haunted. And he had heard since he started, you know, all the apartment upstairs has a ghost in it. And he never thought anything of it. He'd been up there done this a couple of different times, staying the night with the kids and all that. So he just told them, yeah, they say there's a ghost here. I haven't ever seen it. They all just kind of laughed, got him set up, put him in bed, and he went up to the apartment. Well, he went, got up to the apartment when he said it was about 11 o'clock that night, tired, so flopped straight into bed. At about 2 o'clock in the morning, he thought he heard one of the fire engines start up, which doesn't happen because none of them actually have the motors in So he thought that was weird. So he heads down to the second level, and he looks down, and all the kids are asleep. He doesn't hear the fire engine on anymore. Okay, goes back upstairs, and as he enters into the apartment, there is a guy standing in the bathroom. And he thought maybe one of the dads had stuck by him and had gotten up there to, you know, use the restroom or whatever. He said, hey, sir, you need to go back downstairs. And he said when the guy turned, he was just covered in ash. And the guy looked at him and said, who do you think I am? And my buddy just said he went cold looking at this guy, realizing this guy isn't actually alive. This is a ghost. And he said he started stuttering, and the ghost or whatever looked at him and said, well, spit it out already, and then disappeared. Needless to say, my buddy decided he wasn't going to sleep in the apartment that night. It freaked him out pretty bad, so he found one of the old fire engines that has a bench seat and decided that's where he was going to sleep that night. Hope you can use this. I was trying to convince my buddy to call it in, but he was he's a bit nervous. Doesn't really like talking about ghosts and stuff like that. I'm sure he has more stories, but it's hard to get him out of him. Anyway, Derek, love the show. My buddy loves the show. Hope to call back soon. All right. Bye. Well, thank you, caller, for sharing that story. Uh, gentlemen, we have a full-bodied apparition to start out the show, uh, covered in ash. Uh, I'm going to start with you guys. What, what do you guys think? What's your initial thoughts here? To be honest with you, I'm really I'm, – I'm not surprised by the madness that is this, this firefighter ghost. I've always wondered – I've read a few books where there have been uh, other ghostly apparitions cited in firehouses and even in old firehouses, which is probably the reason they found it and used it in Ghostbusters. But what I'm not surprised is, is it's almost like every fireman that I've ever met uh, that's done it for quite some time. When I say sometime, I would say over 10 or 15 years is truly dedicated to the soul at being a firefighter. So them being stuck here, feeling like they was unfinished business. Let's say they passed in a fire or they passed trying to save someone doesn't surprise me really at all. I mean, that's, I'm surprised we don't see more of those or hear about more of those around the other firehouses all over the United States or all over the world, really. Yeah, I agree. And one of the parts, my brother, my little brother is actually a firefighter. And uh, he told me, I remember when he was first, uh, after you go through the schooling and stuff, and then you get to assign to a firehouse or whatever, you know, there's a little bit of hazing that goes on. You're the rookie, you're the new guy. 
I like how the ghost was kind of giving him a, you know, crap. Like he was a rookie, like, don't want to figure it out. Like, what are you going to do? Just stand there and look at me. I mean, I kind of, I like it because I know that the, you know, the upperclassmen of the firehouse, that's what they do. When you're the new guy, they give you, they haze you a little bit. That's yeah. kind of kind of like the ghost was doing. So I, I like that story. I don't think that I would spend the night in the apartment either. Um, but maybe if I was a fireman, I'd feel protected or something. That's an all-time low getting hazed by a ghost, isn't it? Uh, or, or an all-time high, I guess. I, or, yeah. <laughs> depends on how you look at it. People on both sides don't like me. That's <laughs> the way you feel. <laughs> What's the deal with the ash? Uh, you got to wonder, is this, uh, did he pass away in the fire and that's, that's his look? Or did he always look like that because he was a fireman? Uh, how do they, they, I, I don't, there's no like commission out there making ghosts, but when a ghost is created, how do they decide or how does it decide what it's going to look like or what clothes it's going to wear? You, you know what kind of backwards question I'm trying to ask here? I know what you're asking. And maybe he's just real ashy. Like maybe he just needs lotion. <laughs> it might be. I, I I like to lean towards the idea that he died in a fire and he doesn't know it. And so he's there either getting ready for the fire, like he's going through the same day. Like if you didn't know you were stuck in a loop, it wouldn't affect you. Yeah. Yeah. Just every moment is the same thing over and over, but you don't realize that. I like to think that that's kind of what he's dealing with. It's, it's almost like a, like Kyle was talking about, he's hazing. He thinks that that other guy was a new firefighter. Yeah. Come on, man, let's go, just because his appearance is that way. And what you were saying too, Cam, about their emotion, their dedication to, to being a fireman, to being a firefighter, that kind of energy has to like – linger on you know what i mean like you think about places like churches and prisons and hospitals and schools places with tons of energy theaters uh tens of energy night in night out um desperation sadness just peaks of emotion firehouses are right up there i mean you think about the the highs of a successful fire you put the fire out everybody was saved great or vice versa where uh, you know everybody perished and it was just a, a, a disaster and you go back to the station with those feelings I can only imagine how this stuff can accumulate, and, and I'm surprised that it manifests as a full-bodied apparition, but I'm not surprised that energy is manifesting. Oh, yeah, yeah and absolutely. I think it's that way, too, or it could be said the same for all high-stress first responder situations anywhere, whether it's fire, it's PD, it's nurses, it's doctors, it's EMTs, any of that first responder where they have a central hub, Yeah, and that's where they go, care flight. You think about what the guys in care flight see and do. I mean, it's any of that stuff. It seems like there is a lingering energy there that maybe something happened where they couldn't cross over. They can't let go and they're just stuck. Well, I can tell you this much. Uh, that's not the only fire station I could find with some hauntings. Actually, in the state of Nebraska near Omaha, uh, KETV ABC News 7 out of Omaha has this quick news story that I think you guys might enjoy. Chilling noises and unexplainable activity has some of Papillion La Vista's bravest on edge. KETV News Watch 7's Christina Engdahl joins us live. In Brandy, there's always been something eerie about Fire Station Number 1 since it opened in 2007. And firefighters say that this woman, this ghost, is behind it all. Down a long, dark hallway in Papillion La Vista's Station Number 1, there are sightings hard to explain. Maybe it's just deceiving shadows, or maybe it's paranormal activity. Generally, later on in the evening when the lights are down, uh, there will be noises, knocks on a wall. Fire Chief Bilbo says at first he was a tough sell. Then his crew members saw something, someone they couldn't explain. They both sat there and froze for a while, 
And then after a couple of minutes, one of them said, did you see something? And the other said, yeah, what did you see? What they saw appear from this bunk room was a small girl who walked down the hallway and into the darkness. So then they got up, turned the lights on, went down the hallway and obviously found nothing. But she can be seen on the fire station roster. Her name is Susie from Station One. Other crew members will tell you she likes to make herself heard, too. I was coming down the hall. I heard the door in the kitchen open and close. And I came out and I asked the guys that were sitting here, who's here? Marty Price says no one was there, at least no one they could see. But his theory is Susie is a neighbor. The portal cemetery is just next door. Now, whether those bumps in the night are Susie or something else, at station number one, you can't rule anything out. I personally don't jump to ghosts right away as a conclusion mm -hmm. um, to those things, but I also won't pretend to not be spooked by them. So there we go, uh, another haunted firehouse. And I thought this one was peculiar because if you watch the video, it actually looks like the, the building's newer. It doesn't look like an old building like you would imagine an old firehouse. This looks look more like a like a meeting room in an apartment complex or something. I wonder if they had something maybe left over from an old firehouse brought there. Ah, uh, we're going to touch more on that here in a little bit, actually. Haunted and cursed items. But uh, in the meantime, let's move on because we've spent a lot of time here. And like I said, we have so many calls to get through. And in fact, these next handful, uh, they're all shorter entries by comparison to the rest. They're all like a minute, minute and a half, something like that. So we're going to rapid fire through uh, four or five of these calls real quick. You guys okay with that? Absolutely. Brilliant. We're going to start off with Aaron out in Colorado. Take it away, Aaron. Hi, my name is Aaron. I'm calling for the museum episode. I worked at the Molly Brown House Museum in Denver, Cap Hill. This story is not my story, but it's one of my friends from one of the other tour guides that was there at the time. Of course, we're 100 years old. Multiple people have passed away in the building, including um, Margaret Brown's parents. If you didn't know, her real name isn't Molly. So working at the museum, the way it works, when you take a tour is you go through the back of the house and then you have people in the front area and you usually do a little bit of a spiel there um, when you let the group in to the front. And when you're standing in the front, there's a big set of staircase. And so the group was standing down there and the tour guides telling the history, telling about Molly Brown. And then one of the kids is, is bothering her and is like, who, who's up there? And they're like, what do you mean who's up there? And there's not anybody else in the house. And this kid goes on to describe this woman that he had seen upstairs that was wearing a full time period maid's outfit. What's so particularly interesting is we don't have any time period maids outfits in the inventory for the museum. Usually when you dress up in time period, you want to look super fancy and you don't want to dress it down. Um, so some young child saw a full apparition of one of the maids that likely lived on the third floor of Margaret Brown's home in Denver. Of course, that's just one of our favorite stories we would tell as tour guides amongst ourselves. Personally, I'd heard a lot of footsteps, doors opening, closing, but never saw anything myself. Um, it's a truly fantastic place. If you're ever in Denver, go visit Molly Brown House Museum. And thank you so much for letting me share my story. Hope it gets on the podcast. Take care. Bye. So, gentlemen, what's your quick takeaway on that one before we move on? I love that sighting because I love the fact that it was like the kid was the only one that could see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
It's my favorite thing. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me like, just like Cam's talking about, there's a lot of things seen, I think by smaller children, even when it relates to like poltergeist activity always seems to plague like teenage girls. Uh, it's almost like children are, are more susceptible to that kind of thing. They haven't been corrupted like adults have. And, yeah. and I like stories like that. I was at me and my wife went to the Winchester house in San Jose. It was, it was very, very similar stories. Like people had seen and heard things, employees that worked there. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they say the same thing about pets and like older people, that kind of thing that the veil is thinner and they can somehow communicate or at least see to the other side. Uh, we see that kind of thing a lot on this show. We see it on your show. We see it on uh, paranormal called a camera. Uh, basically any TV show, they, they kind of talk, talk about that trope. Uh, you know, one thing I thought was interesting was the Titanic connection. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the Titanic Museum in Branson, Missouri. It's built to look just like the Titanic. It's a ship that you board, and then the inside looks, you know, the grand staircase, all that stuff. But they have artifacts that they recovered from the bottom of the Atlantic. And since they brought all these artifacts in, the curators there say that the place is haunted. They actually had ghost uh, ghost adventures did an investigation there not too long ago. If that's not ironic enough, they had, I don't know if it's the same pieces or similar pieces, but it was another Titanic exhibit that was uh, displayed in Grand Rapids back in like 2013. And they experienced some of the exact same activity that was reported out of the Branson Museum. So uh, I did a little digging on that call and, and it kind of reminded me some of that Titanic stuff. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, fun stuff. Uh, you know, again, tragedy. Just, anytime there's tragedy, it just seems to really imprint. Mm-hmm. All right, well, moving on, we're going to have uh, Yvonne on. And Yvonne is from the state of Virginia. Welcome to the show, Yvonne. Hi, I was calling about stories from museum workers, docents, and et cetera. So my name's Yvonne. I worked in a historic home called Magnolia Grange in Chesterfield County, Virginia. And um, I was the only Saturday docent. And usually I got in a couple of minutes early so that I could do any chores that needed to be done, dusting, vacuuming, you know, just making sure everything was okay for the public when we opened our doors on Saturday. And I was dusting the mantle on the, in the little dining room area. And I lock all the doors when I do the chores because it's a two-story building. I don't want anyone to come in while I'm working. So anyway, I was dusting the front mantle and I heard three distinct boot steps right behind me. And it took me a moment for my head to register that I was alone in the building. So I turned around thinking someone had broken in and no one was there. So we had several other things happen we had teas there and we were baking the cookies for our Mother's Day tea and we heard singing upstairs. So I guess the residents of the house were happy to have a little liveliness in cooking and baking. And so, yeah, those are two of the stories I have. I worked there for a couple of years, so but I think those are the, the best ones that I have. Hope all is well. Thanks. Bye. Anytime that you have a Civil War era like house, it always feels like there's ghosts in it. Yeah, that's what I was looking at, like yeah. where exactly in Virginia that was located. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. But it just all feels like, when I was a kid, I went to Georgia for a month and stayed with some family, and they lived up in northern Georgia, but they were houses in these valleys that we would go to that their friends lived at that had been there since the Civil War. Like they were cannonballs still in the trees 
that you could go where the tree had grown around it and it was bullet hole. I mean, it was all like old historic sites. And I just always remember, like, even as a kid, you'd go in there, but it just didn't feel right. And so, I, of course, like we always laugh about people that are, are sensitive to that. I'm not at all totally blind to it, just stumbling through life. So I would go. But even then, like if I knew if looking back now, if I must have felt weirded out. How weirded out everybody that could sense that must have felt. The place I bought here in California it was built in 1933. And as I'm downstairs, like tearing stuff up and uh, building the studio here, I'm finding pieces of paper from not quite that far back, but you know, the 50s, something like that. And uh, I'm thinking, man, the history of this is incredible. Just imagine living in something that was built in the late 1700s, uh, survived a, a civil war. Uh, I, I agree with you. It's just those places are almost magical if they're not terrifying. And there's and there's no reason to be shocked if you see something in there. It's kind of almost like. That's the place to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, something that old, I mean, it's almost fitting that it has to be haunted, right? Exactly. You know, this story also reminded me a bit of uh, Myrtle's Plantation, and uh, we're actually going to hear more about that coming up, so I won't touch on that just yet, but uh, I saw vibes in there. Okay, well, moving on, our next caller is Francis from the state of Louisiana, speaking of Myrtle's Plantation. Uh, Take it away, Francis. Hi, uh, my name is Francis, and I'm from California. And I actually live in Louisiana now. But around 1969, in the summer, some friends and I went to the museum, uh, actually the Santa Barbara Museum of Art. It's on State Street. And there was a doll display. So two of us went up these little kind of three steps in this long hallway, dolls on both sides, really close, kind of about six feet apart from wall to wall, and then you go down and then exit at the next door. So we went up the steps, went in there, and we got in about four feet, and we both were like, it was so cold in there, and this was not air conditioning. This was like we could see our breath. And then the dolls, it was like they were staring at us. It was so creepy. So we just kind of like walked really fast down at the other end and then left. So that that's my short story about museum <laughs> experiences, uh, the worst one I ever had, the one that really stands out. So uh, thank you. I love your podcast. I listen to it all the time, and I hope you have a great day. Thanks. Bye. Look, I'm creeped out by dolls. Uh, I don't care if they were really looking at her or not. I would be creeped out. I remember I had a girlfriend one time. We went and stayed. I don't remember. She lived quite far away, and we had to stay at her grandma's house, and her grandma collected dolls. And the room I had to sleep in uh, by myself was this room filled with all these dolls. And I just it just creeped me out. I mean, I know they weren't really looking at me, but you could, you could almost freak yourself out thinking about it. I don't like Chucky the doll. I don't like Robert the doll down in, like, Key West. I don't care to ever see that guy. Uh, just dolls creep me out. I think – I'm trying to remember the movie I saw. It was like a made for movie, uh, made for TV movie, uh, trilogy of terror, I think. And then in one of the little short films, the woman brings like this doll back from like Africa. The thing comes to life and it's running around her apartment. And, and I know if you watch it now, it's really cheesy. <laughs> but I'm telling you, when you're like nine years old, it was pretty terrifying. Uh, I'm, I think my memory serves me correctly. <laughs> that woman's braver than I am because the minute that I you walked that? into it, yes, I don't remember that actually. I walked into a room and you could see your breath, and there's no AC, and it's full of dolls. I'm not just gonna casually walk to the other end and try to play it off. I'm not going in. 
I'm a big, that's a nope. That's See, a hard no for me, dog. And I'm going to turn around and leave. So you guys are both uh, no on the dolls then, I guess. Yeah. No, no. I will go pretty much anywhere on this planet and stay the night. But I don't, I'm not getting in the ocean and I'm not messing with dolls, man. Yeah. Since we've been doing the show, I mean, we've been invited numerous times to go like ghost hunting and stuff. I refuse to do that. Like I, <laughs> I, I don't want any, cause I'm, I don't want something to follow me home. You know, like. I'm scared of Bigfoot, but that's easy to avoid. Just don't go in the woods and yeah. Bigfoot can't mess with you. But no, man, messing around with spirits. I don't play. I remember playing with a Ouija board as a kid. I'm not doing that anymore as an adult. No way. Especially not messing with dolls. Well, let me tell you a little personal experience that happened maybe two or three months ago. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, I used to work in, in the industry, film industry in Hollywood. And uh, one of the companies I worked for, I'm still in pretty good graces with and they went out of business not too long ago and had tons of props laying around and they actually called me up and said hey will you like keep some of these props for us and in that list is uh brahms the doll from the movie the boy i don't know if you guys are familiar with that Uh, the sequel just came out with katie holmes uh so i have brahms sitting in my uh library next door here and he's sitting on top of my, my skull cabinet i have a collection of they're all fake but they look real skulls and I have a camera set up. Of course, you know, if somebody breaks in, I don't want them stealing my cool stuff. So uh, one night, four in the morning, Brahms just decided he was going to take a nosedive off of that case. And I don't know how he could have done it because the gravity, the force of gravity, there's just no way he could have leaned over and, and fell off. But I actually have the footage. Maybe I'll, I'll post it in the show notes tonight if you guys want to take a look. Uh, but my wife was not happy about that footage. Not happy That's at what all. You get for bringing him home. That's what you get. Yeah. See? <laughs> Don't put him in a storage building somewhere and keep him out of your life. I'm not worried about him. Not at all. It doesn't bother me at all. Now, if it was a mirror. That's Don't a whole other story. In there. Derek, have you not been paying attention to the movie? You know what you do? <laughs> Come on, man. I know. I know. I'm the first to go. But it's 2020. What are you going to do? Yeah, yeah that's, well, that's even true. more of a reason. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you exactly can't right. trust. <laughs> like, hey, man, my, 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 some knives are missing out of the. Out of the kitchen. <laughs> what are you doing with that hammer in your hand, Carl? That's what it feels like. You wake exactly. up. He's just standing at the foot of the bed. Well, that would be a great joke. If I had the ability to sneak into your house and prop him up at the foot of your bed and not get caught, where y'all would wake up in the morning, your wife, it would be either her or that doll. She'd be like, I'm out. I'm out. She'd probably hear you come in knowing you had a doll in your hand. Hey, I tell you, when people are afraid, and you guys know this, when people are afraid of them, they are afraid of them. It's, it's something visceral. I don't mind like the cute ones, but when they try to make them all like the one you've got, I'm I'm out. Like I don't have a problem with inflatable dolls, but like those, (laughs) no. Yeah, right. Well, on that note, uh, we're going to move on to to the next story. And this is actually from my old neck of the woods. I actually grew up in Ohio. So uh, this is Vicky's call from, uh, I believe, Cincinnati. Hi, my name is Ricky. This is for the museum special. I'm not a curator working at one, but I thought it was a pretty interesting story that you guys might like. The Cincinnati Art Museum, they used to do very special parties for like their anniversaries and they would go well into the night and um, it was about 2005, I was very young at the time and I was super interested in ghosts. So of course, while we're walking through the museum, I said, did anything ever weird happen here? And one of the curators who's walking says that he was on patrol one night because they guard the museum 24-7 and the power shuts off and he's locked in this room. And he hears somebody telling him, you know, to keep calm. that will be back on in a minute. And when he, when he did so, the lights came back on. It was very weird because he was looking in the direction of who he had been talking to. And it was a painting, I believe it was, of 
George Washington. It was a Rembrandt piece, and I just thought that was probably one of the coolest stories I'd ever heard. But thought you guys might like that. Thanks. That one's pretty crazy. Uh, that one's very crazy. Uh, the general himself telling you to keep calm. Or Rembrandt. Is it is it him haunting his own painting? Uh, you take your guess or take your pick here. Yeah, I'd like to think it was George. That's me. You know, because he was a general and... I agree because he didn't, or uh, she didn't describe a Dutch accent. If it was Rembrandt, he, you know, he's a Dutch painter, so he right. had a Dutch accent. Right. There's two things I can't stand: intolerance for other people's culture. <laughs> Here we go. No offense. I was I was going to do that one, and and you beat me to it. Yeah, blame Austin uh, Austin Powers, not me. Oh, I sneak movie quotes into this all the time. I don't know if people catch it or not, but oh yeah. No, I slide them in there. So there you go. I tipped my hat, everybody. You're, you, they're out there. Okay, so that's our lightning round, guys. Uh, those are all our short calls. Uh, we're moving on here, but before we do, I just want to remind all the listeners out there that if you have a story you'd like to share, uh, you can call the hotline at one eight 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 six zero eight night. That's one eight 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 six zero eight six four four four. Or you can visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click on the report your sightings tab for more information. And that out of the way. This next one, guys, this is your neck of the woods, uh, Texas. Uh, Chloe down in Texas has a story about a museum that she used to work at. Hey, Derek, this is Chloe calling from Texas, and I'm calling for the museum workers special. So I don't work in a museum anymore, but I used to about two years ago. I can't tell you which one because they are pretty tight-lipped about PR and public relations and you know, image type stuff. And I, I don't want anyone I know that still works there getting in trouble for, you know, yada, yada, yada. But at any rate, I've got a couple. First is, so I was a gallery attendant there, which meant during the day, I just stood in the gallery and made sure nobody sneezed on or stood too close to or touched any priceless artwork. But my close friend there was an overnight watch person. So they would stay there overnight, watch all the monitors. Pretty boring job usually. And she said one night she was up there all by herself. She's the only person in the whole museum and it tended to get super, super spooky at night because most of the lights would stay off except for the ones in the security room. So this was about four years after they built this building. This is an older museum that was built in the 70s, but they built the second building in like 2014. And there's like a weirdness surrounding it. And supposedly two people died while it was being built. Two workers had supposedly fallen from the scaffolding and were killed while the building was being put up. So we all kind of relished in the gory past of the new museum we're working in. So one night she was in the control room by herself and she catches some movement on one of the monitors, which of course freaks her out because she's supposed to be in there by herself. And she goes to look and it is a clothes hanger that most of the gallery attendants would hang their blazers on. If they didn't want to bring them home, they'd just leave their coat at work and come put it on the next morning. Well, it was empty because everybody was home. But she just sees all of the clothes hangers slide from one end of it to the other, inexplicably. And so she's like, there's no way. I, there's no way I saw that. And then she sees them slide back. So she starts freaking out, thinking, like, is somebody messing with me? What's going on? So she grabs her flashlight and her gun and she goes to open the door to the control room and right in front of the door of the control room 
is a wet floor sign. And there's no way it should have been able to be there because she was the last person there. So she would have had to put it there. And of course she didn't. She didn't put a wet floor sign behind her on her way into the control room. So at this point, she's just freaking out. And she just goes back in the room and like locks herself in there until the morning and then hightails it out as soon as her shift was over. So that was a story that was secondhand. I didn't see it. She swears there's footage of it somewhere, but I don't know if anybody will get their hands on it. But she swears she saw it on the camera. So the second, we had a gallery dedicated to Mesoamerican art. Uh, So like Aztec, Maya, Inca, any of that type of Mesoamerican art. And they were effectively artifacts, really. And some of the pieces had come out of temples. Some of them had come out of graves. We had large pieces of temple wall in there. And the whole room kind of gave me the creeps. It had like this weird, it just had a weird thick energy to it. We actually had several people pass out in there or get really dizzy or nauseous. I actually passed out in there one time. (laughs) I had to go home. And so it was getting to the point where it was so frequent and people complaining about getting headaches while being in there, people complaining about getting dizzy while they're in there, people smelling odd odors that we actually checked to see if we had a gas leak. And so we had all these people come in and they like checked all of the pipes. They checked all the electrical just to make sure everything was kosher. They checked like air purification filters and stuff like that. And there were no problems. And so... I always kind of thought <laughs> maybe some of these objects are like holding on to some kind of energy because there was definitely like people were always super uncomfortable in there. Not just me and not just quote unquote sensitives, like everyone felt uncomfortable in there. So especially after we went through and checked to make sure there were no gas leaks or anything physical wrong with the building. I was always convinced that that room was totally full of cursed objects and I was for sure never caught standing too close to the one that was a rain god that they sacrificed people to frequently. There was one little statue that they had said had been in a temple that was dedicated to human sacrifice. I never stood next to that guy. Gave me the willies major. Anyways, those are my museum stories, but uh, good luck. Hope you can use it. Bye. Thank you, Chloe, for that one. Okay, guys, uh, there's a lot to unwrap here. Um, unravel, maybe. Uh, so we have people killed while remodeling the building, and we have uh, items that may or may not be cursed artifacts. Uh, is there any any correlation here you, you guys see? Is there any kind of connection? That anything sticks out to you, I guess? Well, first, to start off, I don't want to get Chloe in trouble, but I'm pretty sure I know exactly which museum she's talking about. Because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, but I, so we'll leave it at that <laughs> on that whole deal. But uh, you know what it sounds like with the moving of the hangers. I mean, Kyle and I was just leaned back away from the mics, looking at each other about the whole thing. It's almost like it's a mischievous spirit. Mm-hmm. Like it's not a real haunting. It's more of just something having fun, which is a, like a dark entity. So it could have been something very easily that's tagged along with its friends in some of that old artwork or in some of those old things. Yeah, yeah, like uh, trickster elements or something like the uh, like that. Duende, um, trying to think of all these different, uh, you know, the elves of Iceland, that sort of. Yes, Pukwudgies. Yeah, they all have, yes. have being tricksters. The first one, I could see it being something like that, or it could be just like maybe another employee playing a prank on her. I don't know. But the second one, I agree with the young lady. I would not mess around. I believe in cursed objects. There's numerous stories about like Mayan sacrificial knives having curses on them, things that were removed from tombs or, or altars and things like that that are said to carry curses. I, I mean, look at the the series uh, The Mummy. 
I know that uh, when they uncovered what Tutankhamun's grave in Egypt, mm -hmm. uh, that lots of people that were in and around when that took place all died under mysterious circumstances. So I would totally be freaked out about having to be in a museum at myself at night with these artifacts. So, yeah. Well, it's easy to get freaked out in a museum to start with. I can only imagine like in the evening, like when it's totally silent and you're in there for some reason, your mind, I don't know, you just, it's like, you know, that all of those old things have a history and they feel like that it has weight to it. Like the feeling has weight to it. Yeah. What you say sounds weird, but I know exactly what you're talking about and I can uh, picture or, or I can feel yeah. that, that sensation. It's like a vibration or, or something. It's some sort of reaction that, that, uh, the people have. I was just in, uh, Cleveland, man, when was this? Probably almost a year ago at this point. And we went to the natural history museum there and I was just fascinated by some of the stuff they had. It was mostly animals, uh, that they had, but even then, like you're staring at, uh, like a tiger in the eyes or something. And you just, man, the, the, just the, the energy coming off of a taxidermied mount is, is, is noticeable. So just imagine, you know, something a little crazier than that. It jogged my, my memory just talking about this right now. That feeling is in January, I was in uh, New Orleans. And so we went down there with my wife and my daughter and I went down and I ended up going to the World War II Museum down there in New Orleans. And there is a part on the second level, I believe, where you can go and there are uniforms from each branch of the service. And those uniforms were wore by the people, by men and women, and that were in World War II. And they're and and they've not been cleaned. They've not been. I mean, they have still have the grit, the grime. If there's blood, there's still blood on them. If there was a bullet hole, there's this bullet hole that's been maybe stitched up. Like, and they're there, and they're in the glass, and you can stand and read the story and who donated them and where they came from. And there is weight to that. When you're there, there's just that museum is unbelievable, but there is a weight to it. And I would love to talk to somebody from there to see if they've experienced anything. Because there are planes that were there in the war. I mean, there are so many things in that building that have a story all on its own. Well, it's almost not a question of if they've had experiences, just are they willing to talk about it? That's the, yeah, that's mm -hmm. the circling back here on the cursed items. A few of the other ones I actually jotted down. I, I had the same trade of thought here. Uh, the Iceman. Are you guys familiar with the Iceman that was found in like 1991 or something like that in the Italian Alps? Yeah, Otzi. Otzi, yes, exactly. He's supposed to be cursed uh, somehow. And uh, people that are, are uh, involved with him meet an untimely end. Same thing with the Hope Diamond, which was uh, a very big, large, I believe, blue diamond. I can't remember what that thing looks like. But uh, people that owned that were said to also meet an untimely death. And I think, Kyle, was it you that mentioned Robert a little bit ago, Robert the Doll? Yes, Robert the Doll down in Key West, right? Yeah, yeah. He might he might be one of the big ones. There's things like if you try to take your, his picture without permission, he finds ways to mess with you later. Uh, he'll follow you home or send some energy home with you or something. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's why I don't, I don't want to mess around at all. Why take the chance? Yeah. Life's difficult as it is. I don't need that in my life. Have either of you guys seen Robert? In person? Why would I? Well, no. Only internet photos. <laughs> so you feel safe through the internet, though, right? I don't even look at him through the internet. That's this knucklehead. I'm not being involved in this. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's okay. I didn't take the picture. I mean, he's going to have to go mm -hmm. after Getty Images or wherever that's coming from. It wasn't me. You can take that up with Robert. But, I, yeah, I've seen what he looks like. It looks creepy, and I do. And there's, I've read stories where lots of people 
met a crazy end after visiting Robert. So yeah, man, I, I, I don't want to mess around with that stuff. Well, you know, I'm, I'm attempting a very terrible segue here because I found a story about Robert that I really want to share with everyone. Uh, essentially, Robert stays in, of course, I didn't write this down, but there's a uh, old Civil War fort down in Key West that they've uh, transformed into a museum. They, that's where they keep Robert. But one month out of the year, during October, during Halloween, he moves to another museum. And <laughs> check this out. The greatest amount of strange activity happens annually in October, when the doll is sent to another museum in town called the Custom House for display. I think that it's, it's a fort that's unhappy when Robert's not here. When he leaves, chaos seems like it just goes haywire around here. I've been physically pushed. The cat, he walks around sometimes howling, and it's hard to explain the things that go on. But when it, I can't take it anymore, I call over to the custom house and I say, okay, let's get Robert back here. Whatever is here, it makes them happy. Get Robert back. <laughs> Goody has come to terms with the spirits that live here. Little surprises her now. Even the time she opened the museum to find a chair in front of Robert's case. So yeah, Robert the doll is, uh, he's pretty creepy. You know, there's Annabelle the doll as well uh, that's up in... Connecticut, I believe, uh, the Warrens Museum up there. Are you familiar with Harold the Doll? Harold the Doll. That I don't. I don't believe I am. Okay. Well, let me fill you in real quick. He was listed on eBay back in like 2003, and the reason he was listed on eBay, the seller was actually claiming that his presence in their home uh, actually caused the death of their cat. Uh, it caused the the marriage to split up. Uh, the both people that owned the doll uh, complained of chronic migraines. And they both of the people that resided in the home with Harold claimed that they heard disembodied voices of children playing in their basement. And over the next couple of years, Harold was sold and resold and resold and resold. And everywhere he went, it was the same kind of things. People were re reporting terrible things happening at their house, lots of divorces, headaches. And I'm its last owner, I believe now, is somebody called Anthony Quinata. I'm not 100 percent. This person claims that they've actually exercised the doll and that it no longer behaves that way. But once again, you might have to look it up, Harold the Cursed Doll. Hmm. It's just another reason why I don't mess with dolls of any kind. Cabbage Patch, Barbie, <laughs> uh, whatever. And blow-up blow dolls, as you said. <laughs> uh, blow-up dolls, I, you know, I, not any longer. When I was younger, I probably owned a couple. <laughs> well, uh <laughs> Now that we've uh, established that. You know, for swimming purposes. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, safety Don't first. Drown. Safety first. Well, the thing that makes me think about what this whole doll deal, especially with Robert in, this, in the segment you just played, is weird for the fact that it things go haywire when he's gone. So it's not yeah. so much Robert is the problem. It's a past owner of Robert that's attached itself to Robert. That's the problem. Or as the woman says in the clip, she thinks it's the fort or the museum itself that misses Robert and it starts acting up. There's, that's just too much. So you just you got to just leave the – first of all, if you knew it was going to happen, why you why you moving Robert? If you know it's going to go crazy, just go, nah, we're not interested this year, okay? That's a good point. And what I thought about when I originally heard this clip was somebody has to put him in their car and then drive his ass down the street to this other museum – Who's that person? You know what? That ought to be punishment. Every year, you ought to have to be put in a lottery, and that's punishment. You lose, you got to ride around with him for one day. 
I was a PA in LA for a long time, a a production assistant, which means a gopher. I got coffee and all kinds of stuff. And uh, I guarantee you some producer, director, somebody out there would 100% do that to a poor PA. Here, this cursed object, it's killed hundreds of people. Uh, Take it down the street for me. I need you to go pick that up. It's a two-hour drive from here. (laughs) Yeah, and hurry. Yeah, and I need you to be back here in 45 minutes. Fun times, fun times. All right, gentlemen, uh, we're going to move on to our next entry of the evening. And this one is uh, from the state of North Carolina, back all the way back east. And this one is from Rachel. So, Rachel, welcome to the program. Hey, Derek. This is Rachel, originally from Virginia, now currently living in North Carolina. You asked to have stories from museums and historical houses, and I definitely have some stories for you. I actually have two that I figured I could tell you. The first one is something I consider my first ghost experience in my whole life. And I've had a lot. So this is the very first one that I can remember. I was about seven and we were visiting my godmother who at that point lived in Northern Virginia. And just before we decided to leave, she said, hey, why don't we check out Claire Barton's house? Claire Barton was a very famous Civil War nurse. A lot of the practices that we do today, she started, and she also began the American chapter of the Red Cross. So she's a really, really cool person, very historically important. So we figured, why not? So we head on over there, and when we got to the house itself, we actually saw two other people that were sitting on the front porch waiting outside of it. And we talked to them a little bit, and it turned out that they had certain times where they had tours or they weren't open yet. I can't exactly remember what what it was. But my godmother, she went up and knocked on the door, and I stood in the very front of the group because I then, and even today, really love houses. I especially love historical homes and everything, so I really really wanted to see what was going on inside this this building almost immediately. So, of course, I stood near the front so I could look around people. And as the door opened to the tour guy and she was talking to all the adults, I was a very tiny child. So it was probably less than four feet at that time. And so I could see under the lady's elbow. And I peeked inside the house and I could see the whole hallway pretty much under her elbow. And I noticed that there was a tall, dark-haired woman leaning up against the wall, looking towards us. All I can really tell you is that she was not exceptionally old, much older than I was at that time, but she wasn't exceptionally old. She wasn't like an old woman in her 70s or 80s. She, again, was tall. She had dark hair. It seemed short from where I was, but it either could have been in a bun or it was cut that way. I do not know which. And I remember her wearing pants. I remember her wearing like green pants possibly, but I do remember the pants because I could see her legs being crossed and she had this very relaxed pose leaning up against the wall. Well, the lady at the door, the tour guide, Uh, She lowered her elbow just a little bit, and I couldn't see inside the building anymore. But when she lifted back up, there was no one there. And I figured, you know, okay, maybe it was a person, even though literally I couldn't see inside the building for no more than two seconds. And that was, that's pretty fast for just someone casually sitting on the wall to just suddenly run away. So I don't know. I I did have the idea that it could have been a ghost, because I really did like ghosts at that time, still do. So I figured... I don't know, I'll talk about it a little bit later, see if I couldn't find anything that rationally could explain what was going on. And as we walked around the whole building, I couldn't find anything that really explained what I saw. You know, I don't think it was a reflection of anything. There was no mirrors over there. There were 
no other people around from what I could tell. So I, I didn't know what was going on exactly. So I told my mom and she's very into ghosts. So she told me to tell the tour guide at the end of the tour. I told the tour guide and the tour guide immediately looked really scared. And I felt kind of bad for her. She was, she was actually pretty terrified. And she asked me, you know, like, you know, what does she look like? And I kind of gave her a basic description and she's like, okay, um, well, if you wait right here, I'm going to go and get the other person I work with because there is another lady in this building. And I was like, well, she must run really, really fast because she was gone almost in an instant. The tour guide leaves. She comes back with her coworker. And as soon as I see the coworker, oh, I know that this isn't the same woman <laughs> at all because the coworker, she's where she has like long, frizzy brown hair. She's much shorter than the woman I saw. And she's also much heavier as well because the woman I saw, she was pretty thin. This, this woman was not. Uh, no offense to anybody, but she, she just wasn't. She also wasn't wearing the same type of clothing or anything like that, but I wasn't sure. You know, honestly, I knew even at that point, seeing something so far away, I could have just made up a lot of this stuff in my head. So the lady who was our tour guide asked me, is this the woman that you saw? And I told her, no, I don't believe it is. I don't, she doesn't look anything like what I saw. The coworker kind of looked around at everybody very confused and she said, well, I didn't even know there was a tour happening because I was in the basement the entire time. And they were the two people in this entire building. So it was only the tour guide who was at the door with us and then the lady who worked with her who was in the basement, which we never even got to, so we never even went down to the basement, was in the basement the whole time. Didn't even know someone was here. So it was very freaky. I felt like I really scared that tour guide and I felt really bad. And if she does happen to listen to this, I'm so sorry that I scared you. I did not mean to scare you at all. I don't know if there's any more ghosts that have come from that museum or house, unfortunately. So I should probably check that place again, go there and talk to them and see if there's any other stories that people have said, or if maybe my story gets still told over there. I don't really know, but I thought you'd really enjoy that one. The other story I actually want to talk to you about is my mother's childhood home. Today, it is a museum. It's like a little small American Civil War museum for the county that I grew up in, which is Southampton County, Virginia. But when my mom was growing up, it obviously was a family home. It was a home that my grandfather bought sometime around the 50s, I believe, and that all of his kids pretty much grew up there. And then in around 2010, we unfortunately had to sell it because it became too expensive for everybody to keep up. So we had to give it away, very unfortunately. The building was originally built in 1791, if I remember correctly. It was one of the first four buildings built in that town that it sits in today. And originally it was a hotel and a tavern, and then it became a Civil War hospital. And then after a while, it turned back into a family home like it was originally. So... A lot of weird stuff kept happening here. I was always very terrified of the place, very scared. I hated the upstairs. The upstairs was probably the worst. And honestly, upstairs is where most people had their experiences. One experience came from a friendly friend who was staying there. I think my, my parents had gone off to grab something. So she was alone in the house and she heard what sounded like something thumping from the upstairs master bedroom. And it turned out that my, I believe it was my grandmother when she was sick, when she needed someone, she would thump her cane on the ground and she died in the master bedroom. So when the family friend heard that, she knew the story 
of my grandmother being in that room, thumping on her cane. So she actually called up to the stairs saying, hey, I'm a family friend. I'm not here to harm anything. I'm really just here for a little while while they go off somewhere. And then the thumping completely stopped. My uncle, who probably stayed in the house almost as much as we did because he didn't live too terribly far away and would often stay there for a couple weeks at a time. He kept saying that when he would fall asleep, occasionally he would start hearing what sounded like multiple people talking all at once. A little cool fact about that specific room where he would tend to sleep in and hear all those creepy voices, there is original glass from when it was still a tavern and there are people's names etched into the glass. Who these people are, we don't know, of course, but it, their, their initials are still into the glass. So I thought that was kind of cool. I really disliked the children's room as well. I always felt like something was watching me from the closet. Apparently my mom even said that she thought her dolls moved occasionally when she was sleeping in that room when she was a child. My mom even said she got pushed down the stairs once. I don't think she fell all the way, but like she, she did kind of slip down the stairs a, couple, a little bit at one point. I, I'm not exactly sure why the ghost pushed her down the stairs because they usually weren't aggressive, but that was something that happened. And another weird thing that happened as well. There's so many things in, that happened in this house. I'll try to keep it as concise as possible. I always felt safe fist in the den because that's where the TV was, I thought. Now I think it was more just because that's where a family member died in, but I didn't know that at that point. So the TV was in a corner. I'd always watch the TV. I'd stay there pretty much all day long because I was so scared to move around the rest of the house. And only after we left out of there, my mom told me that the corner where the TV was in was where my great aunt Lucille died way before I was born. But every time I would watch TV, sometimes during that time, I could almost tell that something was in that corner, kind of walking back and forth between the wall. I don't really know how to explain how I know that kind of thing. Sometimes I get that kind of stuff where I can tell where something's moving, but I can't actually see it. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, I remember that from as a kid, always thinking that something was gonna come through that wall in that corner, and that was where my great aunt died. After we sold the house, I tried to talk to some of the people who currently worked in it, because no one lives in there, but worked in it as a museum and as a conference room, basically. And most of them wouldn't talk to me, unfortunately, but one guy actually did tell me a story that happened after we had left. It was the Sons of the Confederacy. They were the ones who bought the house, unfortunately, but they were the ones who bought the house. And so, when the men were having the meeting, the women had to stay in the kitchen. So one point during the meeting, one of the women had called the specific guy who was talking to me into the room and she said, something is walking upstairs. Is there someone up there? And he says, no, there's no one else here. It's just you guys in the kitchen, us in the meeting room. There's no one else in the house. Upstairs from the kitchen, there really isn't anything because the kitchen is an add-on, but it's right next to where the bathroom is. That's the closest room to where the kitchen is. And I always hated that bathroom, never would use it. I would rather pee outside than be in that bathroom all by myself. And even when I wasn't by myself, I still hated it. So he figured he would go up the stairs anyway to see if what was going on. And he said, as he walked up the stairs, he too could hear what sounded like someone walking around to his left. And to the left of the stairs coming up is that bathroom. He looked all around, of course, there was no one there. Just before we left there officially, there was a an ink cup, I'll just say that, of feathers that someone would write in. 
No one wrote them. I don't really know why they were there. I think it was just mostly there for decoration. But there were about four or five of them. When we were heading out of the house, you know, getting everything packed up, it was the last few weeks everybody was going to be there. The feathers kept being thrown throughout the room in the living room. So almost every morning, we'd have to pick them back up again. And sometimes two or three times during the day, they would fly out again. Well, you'd never see it fly out, but they would be always on the floor. So I picked them up a couple times. I thought it was just a funny little ghost that we, we, d- we decided to call it feathery just for that reason. One morning I got up, I was sleeping in the den with my brother for some reason. I don't know why we didn't have the upstairs room that time, but we were sleeping in the den and I woke up before anyone else. Cause at that age, I woke up at like five or six in the morning for some God awful reason. And I came out there and all the feathers were on the floor again. So I picked them all up and there were about, I think there was like four white ones and then a red one. And I found all of them except for that specific color one, the black or red one. I'll say red, the red one. And I looked everywhere for it. I looked like under the couches. I looked in the vents around it. I could not find that red one. So I figured, you know, maybe someone took it or, you know, sometimes I just figure it's going to come back at some point. So I put everything back and then hours later, I went back into the living room and once again, all the feathers were on the floor. And then that red one was right there. And my uncle's wife at the time was picking them up and I asked her where she found that red one. She said, I just found it on the floor. It wasn't, wasn't anywhere. What do you, what do you mean? What are you asking about? I told her how I couldn't find it literally a few hours beforehand. And now it's suddenly back in the middle of the floor when I know it wasn't there. So I don't really know what's going on with that ghost. I hope that there's more stories that people who work there now could possibly tell me or tell other people. And maybe one day I'll get around to hearing them again. But it's a very, very cool house. I know now I wouldn't nearly be as terrified as I was when I was a kid. I was scared of all that kind of stuff. Now, I guess you could say I've grown up a little bit more so I could handle it a lot better. And I'd love to check it out again, have an actual investigation, because as I said, there's a lot of weird stuff that keeps going on there. And it's a very, very actively haunted house. So I think you'd also enjoy that story. As I said, it is now a museum. So I know it still counts for what you're looking for. And if anybody wants to check it out, definitely. I I don't know if it's open now, but it is open, I think, for tours by demand. Yeah, definitely a cool place to check out. And it's a very old and very dear to my heart home. Okay, thank you so much. Talk to you later. Well, thank you uh, to Rachel for submitting that story. But what do you guys think? Uh, More Civil War stuff, uh, more hospital stuff, uh, more of the same, really, right? It's crazy that we talk about it. And then here it comes again. They start talking and you're like, oh. It's just the same story with a different voice. Yeah. There is something going on. As active as all that is that she was describing, someone needs to be up there taking a look at it. I mean, I'm not that someone, but someone (laughs) needs to be. Right. And how cool is it that the house that she formerly lived in is now a museum? Like she mentioned, the the sounds of children playing, getting pushed down the stairs, uh, the feeling of dread or something's watching them from the closet, strange things. I mean, like – that it's so common in hauntings of very old homes like that. I got a question. I didn't hear her say exactly was how old was she when she had that sighting of that woman in the the museum? She was talking about her mom and she looked under her mom's arm. I, I don't know that she did. Yeah. Honestly, she said she was little, like yeah. four feet tall at the time because she was underneath her mom's yeah. elbow. So probably. So like again, eight, it starts nine. with the kids seeing something. Yeah. Yeah, I wrote that down too. You know, another yeah. kid seeing a ghost. I mean, yeah. it's the same stuff over and over. And, and these tropes, these cliches exist for a reason. 
uh, you know, this stuff happens. It happens a lot, and it's recorded and reported, and uh, it scares the hell out of people, frankly. And I think, well, what's good about your show, Derek, and, and everyone doing the work is this is something that people need to be okay with talking about. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're crazy. It doesn't mean – I think if everyone was to openly come forward, no judgment, and describe if they've had a thing or any kind of weirdness happen in their life, I think people would be shocked at the number that are keeping it private. I know just since Kyle and I have started podcasting and, and we had talked to friends and family that wouldn't talk about it. And then after you start doing the show – people come up to you that you didn't even know were into that thing or it had something. They're like, I feel comfortable talking to you. And that's what I get from all of these people that are sending their stories in. Or they're like, they've heard it on your show before. They feel it's a safe place. Yeah. Right. It's a place that you can go ahead and tell what happened to you. And, if, and there's going to be no judgment. Of course, it's a double-edged sword. People could be you know, telling stories, whichever. But those that need that reaffirmation get it. It's like paranormal therapy, really. Yes, I agree. And I think that's probably the success of your show uh, is because of that. People feel like it's a place they can share their stories, not be judged. And like we, me and Cam talk about on our show all the time, when somebody has a, a, a strange or scary sighting, whether it's a ghost or, or anything, whether it was real or not, the person that saw that believes it was real and mm -hmm. it's changed them. Yeah. So whether it was imagined or real, it's changed them forever. I know that I've personally talked to people who were not into the paranormal at all, had a strange sighting, contacted me privately, told me about it, and like, you know, please don't tell anybody, keep my name secret, you know, but I did see this, and it's definitely changed the way I look at the universe yeah. prior to me having that experience. And so whether it's real or not, you know, that's why we like the stories, is because it's changed everybody that's telling their stories, it's changed their life, and I think that far more people have had paranormal experiences. They just don't talk about it. Well, that's the thing. When I started the show, uh, you know, I started talking to my friends and, and telling them, oh, I have this idea. I want to do this. And every one of them's like, how are you going to get enough stories to, to do a show? And I'm like, trust me, every single person has a story. And each one of them, without, without a skip and a beat, would say, oh, I don't. I don't have a story. I said, well, think about it. You didn't see a strange light in the sky or, you know, something mm -hmm. didn't move every single time. They're like, well, there was this one time that this one thing happened that they couldn't explain. So even the most diehard skeptic has that one thing. And it's just a sliding scale. You know, is it one little object that moved one time or did your house turn into a, a poltergeist movie? Um, you know, it's, a, it's a scale that, that you find yourself on. You hope you're on the bottom of that scale. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, some people are at the top. Yeah, I mean, like just missing. So it can be simple as something as missing items. I don't know if you've experienced it, but I'm, I'll, I have, and a lot of other people, where you just misplace something, and you know where you put it, and you'll check a drawer that it's supposed to be in. It won't be there. You'll search up and down. You'll go check that drawer again. It won't be in there. And then, like the eighth time or a couple days later, you'll go and open that drawer, and there's the item. Like yeah. that's happened to me, and I've talked to dozens of people with the same thing. Or it's in the middle of your bed or the middle of the living room floor or someplace obvious that it hasn't been the entire time. I, I've heard this story so many times. Mm -hmm. It's been submitted to the show a hundred times, I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Crazy stuff. All right, guys. Well, we're going to move on here. In our next one, we were talking earlier about spreading the love, and, and there's plenty of room for uh, new podcasts and, and different cryptid podcasts. It doesn't have to just be uh, you guys and us. There's, there's plenty of people out there for, for all these shows. And... Uh, we actually have a fellow podcaster calling in. 
Yami from Cryptid Chat is sharing her story here. So uh, welcome to the program, Yami. Hey, this is Yami. I'm actually from Cryptid Chat with Yami. And when I heard that you guys were doing a museum special, I knew I should probably actually bring in a story or two. I had previously been employed at a museum. It was a religious museum, a Bible museum, where they do Bible translation. And when I started working there, I was going to be one of the tour guides. And I didn't think much about if we would have artifacts or anything of the sort. But very quickly, I realized that we actually had a lot of different artifacts from all over the world. And I was explaining to my managers that we were gifted a lot of cultural artifacts that we honestly, most of the time, didn't even know where they came from. They were never labeled. And they just sat in this closet. And this closet usually wasn't touched and it wasn't messed with. They were just sitting there until we decided to put them out or somebody wanted to claim them, however the case may be. So shortly after I started working in the museum, I was given the task to redo some of our uh, bookcase displays, and I was given permission to bring out some of these artifacts to display with uh, some of the Bibles that we had. So in doing so, I was shocked to find a whole bunch of really cool, interesting things from literally all over the world, and a lot of very strange things that I would ask my bosses about, and they were like, well, we have no idea where that's from or what that was used for, which is very exciting. So it wasn't long after I began to mess with the artifacts that I began to experience some weird things happening in the museum. I, outside of doing the tours and working on the display, I would sometimes be at the museum front desk. And sometimes we would go, you know, a few hours on a slow day without seeing anyone, and I would sit at that front desk on my computer. I began to experience something weird. I would sit there, and it happened several times, where I would hear somebody calling my name. And it came from just right behind me, like the sound of somebody whispering in your ear. And it always freaked me out. I would turn around expecting to see one of my coworkers there, and there's never anybody there. Usually, it was the sound of a woman's voice. But sometimes, it sounded just like one of the voices of my coworkers. And it was so weird. Like, I would sometimes even answer back, like, yes, because I thought somebody was standing right behind me. But there was nobody there. And then there was one time where I was walking out toward the employee exit area that I used every single day. And that was that day was specifically I had been working on the Bible bookcases, like, all day. And I was walking with my head down. I was texting. And when I briefly looked up, I saw what looked like a person walk right in front of me. It was so solid that I stopped to let them walk across. But when I looked fully up, there was nobody there. But it really did feel like there was somebody that just walked right across from me. But then when I really looked at it, where they walked across in front of me would have been straight into a walled area. <laughs> so to say I was freaked out is an understatement. And I went the next day and asked my coworkers, like, hey, have you guys had anything weird happen and stuff like that? And it's like, you know, every now and then we do get some really weird things that happen. And sometimes you'll like hear footsteps of like, there's nobody there. Or like, I asked them if they had had similar issues with like hearing voices. And they said, well, sometimes you'll hear like, someone's like talking and there's nobody there. And one of my coworkers had said that they thought that they had once heard somebody call their name 
but nobody was there either. Apparently, to my coworkers, they didn't think much of it, and because the noise travels kind of in our building, it's a very open and wide building in our side, they just assumed that the noise traveled from somewhere. But I just thought it was interesting that being given that project and working with those artifacts for the short time that I did, those things began to happen to me. And once they were displayed or either put away, I noticed that the, I guess, activity, if you want to call it, stopped. So I really don't know what to think about what I experienced. I don't know if I was just paranoid, hypervigilant, not honestly sure, but as being somebody who's always been like open and attuned to the supernatural and have had prior experiences personally with the paranormal and supernatural, I don't know if that made me more receptive to it or not. I tried to find a thousand possible logical explanations for it. Every time I heard a voice, I asked my coworkers or anyone near me if they had called me, but never did I fully find out who it was that was calling my name or why they were calling my name specifically. That's my story of working in a Bible museum and having some very interesting things happen. So, hope you guys enjoy. Creepy. Someone calling your name? That would definitely creep me out. Have you guys ever had that happen to you? No. Uh, for me, I've never really had anything that paranormal happen to me. I'm not sensitive to that. I know people in my family that have a lot of strange things or have seen a lot of strange things. I unfortunately wasn't past that, whatever that is. I, I, no, I've, I've never had anything paranormal, really. I always forget about this. And every time I do a show where we bring it up or that people ask this question, my daughter always has to remind me. My daughter said for years that our house was haunted and... I was always like, it's not haunted. There's nothing going on here because I'm much like Kyle described. I don't have, I don't have that ability to even know that there's something going. Like I don't even know when my wife's mad. It's one of those things. So, <laughs> well, that's, that's difficult to, yeah, for right, yeah, yeah. No, that's pretty much all the time. <laughs> I just have to assume <laughs> that it's every day at me. And I remember coming home and was doing stuff here in the house. And I thought my wife was in the bedroom. And so I said, are you in there? And I heard, yeah. And go on, and I didn't think anything of it. And then it wasn't another 10 or 15 minutes later, she shows up. She wasn't even home yet. And I thought she had come in because I had been in the backyard, came in, and I thought she was already here. But I heard her voice, what I thought was her voice, and a distinct, yeah. And so I'm like, well, maybe I was just hearing things. Like maybe I wanted to hear her say, yeah, like, oh, yeah, you know, and you just go on. And, you just, and just like you do every day, like we just discussed, I played it off as it was nothing. And it wasn't until my daughter brought it up and kind of started talking about her hearing stuff and my wife hearing stuff and everybody. My nephew was here and he witnessed something, he says, that went from uh, our hallway, like across our hallway from one room to another. And he thought it was a woman wearing white. And my daughter always said, I think it's a woman. And so there was been several things. Hmm. We haven't had anything happen in a long, long time. So sadly, my daughter believes that she's moved on, whatever it was. But what's funny is there was no woman in this house that I'm aware of. There's only one family, the family that built it, the family that owned it, and then I bought it from them. That was it. So we're not really sure it's either something we came in with or I don't know. It fell out of somebody's pocket, ended up here. I don't, I don't know how it got here, but it was here for a little bit. So that's the only thing that I've ever had happen. But what's, what's the surrounding area of your, of your home there? Uh, what was the history of, of the land? Well, it was there was really nothing here well, until these homes were built. Now, the history of this county 
is one of, of a lot of turmoil because it's named Parker County after Quanah Parker, Cynthia Ann Parker, which Cynthia Ann Parker was abducted by Comanches and was raised with the Comanches when she was nine years old and actually had children. And then Quanah Parker was one of her sons, and he was the probably the greatest war chief of the Comanches that ever lived, and he's the man that finally kind of helped contain all of it. But, yeah, so there's pretty wild stuff. But another thing is there's a church caddy corner to where I live. So I've always wondered, I'm like, all the funerals that they have at that church, I just wonder, I mean, could something just be kind of hanging out, just decided to go out for a stroll? I mean, I, I don't know. So there's there's a lot of questions I have. And, of course, as when you start down this path of looking into these things, much like these people that are calling in, uh, you start down this path, you get more questions than answers. A hundred percent. I say that on almost every episode, you know. The more I, I learn, it seems like the more I need to know. <laughs> it's just it's it's a it's a bucket with a hole in the bottom, essentially. Yeah, that's hundred yeah, percent right. And the girl talked about like seeing somebody that looked like a real person. I wonder how many times you're just out doing your thing and you see what looks like a real person. In reality, that's that was a ghost. Yeah. You're just not aware of it. You think about like going to Walmart or something, you know, you're walking down the aisle at midnight and there's a strange looking person on the other end. That may not be a living person. We we just really don't know, you know, it's unless unless we're in a situation, the atmosphere where this is an odd thing to see a person there, you don't even question it. So a lot of us could have seen ghosts a hundred times and never knew. I think about it every time I'm driving. It's like late in the evening, right before dark and you pass like a hitchhiker or just somebody walking down the road. And you may be we've all experienced it and we've done some shows about it, about you seeing it. When there should be nobody around, like there's no houses, like what are they doing all the way out here? I always wonder to myself after I pass them, I'm like, was that a person? Like just because I can see them like right now, was that a person or could it be? Now I sound like David Hetcher Childress. Is it possible or could it be? Yeah. Could it be? I mean, we don't know, but you're right. Is how many times has something like this happened to us and you just go on with life because life is busy? Yeah. To wrap this whole thing up, uh, Kyle, you started off saying that you're like uh, the opposite of a magnet. You, you drive this kind of thing away. And I've always said on this show uh, for years now, I, I think there's two types of people in the world. There's the people that are hyper vigilant. They're always looking. They're always paying attention. I'm one of those people. Like, you're not going to get a detail past me. I'm going to notice it. There's tons of other people I know, and, and they seem to be uh, flocked to me in my life where they're the opposite. They're, you could change the color of your house and they wouldn't even notice for a week. Uh, those are the people that seem to don't really see anything. You know, they're just kind of going through life, not clueless, but, you know, focused on their own thing. But people that are like daydreaming off, like staring, like what's going on over there? Those are the people that end up seeing things. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm 100% clueless. Like I, I lose my car keys probably five times a week. I have no idea. First of all, I'm kind of colorblind, so my wife constantly gets on to me about that doesn't match with that. <laughs> and she's like, don't you care? I'm like, I really don't care. Like, I just, my, I keep my world small. And so if there are spirits moving around in my room, I probably wouldn't even hear it. <laughs> well, I mean. I do want, I mean, I, want, good, I right? want to see it. Yeah, I mean. And Kyle's one of those people that repel. He repels a lot. <laughs> A lot of what? He just repels People. everybody. That's because I don't, I don't bathe. I don't like to brush my teeth. <laughs> they call him human deet. That's why I do radio. I'm repulsive to look at. <laughs> That's why we're all on radio, buddy. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's weird. It really is. You've got a point. It really is strange because it does seem that way. Like there are, 
There's two camps. It's not like you dabble and you notice. It's either something that you notice at all or you don't notice any. Yeah. You don't yeah. get a you don't get a dabble of it. It's either you feel like that or cause or it's and I think the majority of people are those people that don't really notice it. One thing happens and they're like, That's crazy, but I've got to get to work or that's crazy, I've got to get over here, or I've got to do this. And you just relegate it to a past memory and don't really hang on to it. And I do believe that people, certain people are sensitive to it. I hundred percent believe that because that I know that do see stuff. It's like an ongoing thing throughout their life. Like they've kind of always had a lot of weird stuff going on. Mm-hmm. So I, I totally believe that. I've talked to a lot of people over the years that are sensitive. I Like I said, I have a family member who seems to be very sensitive to things like that. And it's not just ghost activity. Like they've seen lots of strange stuff in all different types of areas. And for whatever, whatever that is, I think certain people have the ability to see it. I, I don't. We need to figure out how to bottle that. And I bet you we could make millions. Selling it to the government alone would make us a ton of money. You just sell it like it's cologne? Yeah, you just spray it on and you're psychic for a couple hours. Well, I, I say that, but then I've, I've also heard people that it's like it's a terrible. It's like a curse. Oh, like yeah, they can't yeah. go to sleep because there's like these spirits won't leave them alone. That sounds like a, a nightmare and uh, like an 80s horror film all wrapped into one. <laughs> it sounds like the show Heart and Souls. The old Robert Downey Jr. movie where they died in the, the bus crash and then they all got stuck to him when he was a baby and he's the only one that can see him and then they go invisible and then they don't go. They're still there, but they don't come back to where he can see him till he's like in his like almost 30. I forgot all about that movie. I used to watch that a lot when I was a kid because it makes you think about that. Like, are they following me? Yeah. yeah. Is there are somebody because I mean, you, <laughs> it's real bad when you see that and then you start getting embarrassed. You're like, wait a minute. <laughs> what have I been doing that they've been watching? <laughs> yeah, what have they caught me doing? <laughs> uh, you think about that all the time with any ghost, I mean, if you're honest. Well, and it's I think that goes back into like what y'all are talking about is people, what if that was your life? Like these people that are calling in that are seeing these things, uh, like the woman that's talking about it, you know, she sees all this and is involved in all. To me, that would be an exhausting life. Like I feel bad for those people. Yeah. And then they in turn feel bad because I don't see anything. <laughs> well, I'm I'm lucky. I'm one of the I'm kind of middle of the road. I've had a handful of experiences, but like I said, I'm one of those people that a lot of details aren't going to get by me. Uh, and I feel like those detail or those experiences only happened because I was vigilant and, and looking not looking for them, but uh, just aware when this stuff happened. One of them was uh, my my brother's house was was haunted, and and I can say that without. Without any reservation whatsoever, there was just so much activity that happened just a few times I was there. Uh, but one of the first things that I experienced that kind of changed my mind was we came back from a high school football game. I was back home visiting. We walked into his front uh, living room, and there's like a, a back hallway to the right. It goes back like three or four bedrooms back there. And there's somebody just back there whistling a tune. He's just going to town. And none of us are really paying attention. Like, we could all hear it. And we just, one by one, start looking at each other, and like, we're just... You could see us all counting. One, two, three. We're all here. Like, who's back there whistling? And my niece walked out of there, and she was super young at the time, maybe two or three. She could not whistle, and she certainly couldn't whistle this tune that was being whistled. Uh, she walks from back there, and she just acting like nothing happened. So, uh, you know, there was many other things that, that occurred there, but just strange stuff like that. It's just so such a small little uh, event, but it changes your life. Here I am talking about it 10, 15 years later. Okay, so we're going to move on here to our next one. And like I said earlier in the show, 
Uh, Myrtle's Plantation down in Louisiana is one of the most haunted, uh, I guess, residents or former residents in the country. And uh, Lauren from, I believe, the state of Louisiana has a story all about it. So welcome to the program, Lauren. Hi, Derek and Derek's listeners. This is Lauren from New Orleans again. This story is going to center around the home called the Myrtle's Plantation. It, For those of you who don't know, it's considered one of the most haunted houses in America. Definitely one of the most haunted houses in the southern part of America. It's located in St. Francisville, Louisiana, which is about an hour north of Baton Rouge. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys a bit of a history intermixed with some of the tales that have created these you know, haunted stories. They're ghost stories that go along with the home, uh, a personal experience, and then some of my family's personal experience. So the home itself was built in 1796 by a man named David Bradford. He was leader of the Whiskey Rebellion. He built it as a Creole cottage slash center hall style home, for those of you who are interested in architecture. It has a very large porch that wraps all the way around. It's got beautiful ironwork on the porch, very detailed. It looks like something, honestly, that should be here on St. Charles Avenue here in New Orleans. So he named it Laurel Grove, and he eventually passed it on to his son-in-law, Clark Woodruff. And this is sort of where the first haunted story, ghost story, comes in. So Clark Woodruff owned a slave named Chloe. And according to some sources, Clark Woodruff was having an affair with Chloe. Uh, According to the tale, the affair sort of fizzled out, and Chloe was caught eavesdropping on a conversation between Clark and his wife, Sarah. Most likely, she was a little worried about her position in the house. She wanted to keep it. She just wanted to know what was going on. So she was caught eavesdropping, and this was a big deal back then. They cut off her ear, and she was forced to wear a turban for the rest of her life sort of hide the disfigurement. There is a picture at the Myrtles, and you can find this online. I'll try to attach it to the story of who they believe to be Chloe. It's a black and white picture. It was taken for insurance purposes on the house when a new owner took over. And you can see on the back of the house, on a little walkway between the back of the house and the guest house, now gift shop, there's a woman standing there and she looks like she is wearing, you know, 1800s slave clothing. She has a turban on her head and they very much believe that it was her, that it was this Chloe. So back to the story, she was exiled to the fields. Uh, the home itself was an indigo plantation. So there were indigo fields surrounding it. That was how it's made, it made its money. She was exiled there. She did not want to stay there. So she devised a plan to return to the house. Um, and this involved baking a cake for one of the children whose birthday was coming up, one of Clark Woodruff's children. And her plan was to boil oleander um, when, when you boil oleander, it creates a poison similar to arsenic, I believe. Um, and she was just going to sort of lace the cake with this and make the family sick. She expected them to ask for her to nurse them back to help. And she would be back in the good graces of the family and allowed back in the home. And that was her plan. Unfortunately, everything went horribly wrong. Sarah and two of the children, Clark Woodruff's wife, and two of the children died. She did the poison a little too strong. They, they passed away from eating it. She was found out and dragged into the field and hung from a tree. At the time, they believed that you were supposed to cover mirrors. This is part of mirror folklore, mirror, mirror lore. When somebody dies in a house, you are to cover the mirror so that their soul does not get trapped in the mirror. Uh, apparently... This mirror was forgotten when these children and Sarah died and now is marked by their handprints trying to get out of the mirror. This mirror still hangs in the house. It's in the center hall of the house and across from the stairs. 
You can see it. They've changed, according to the story, they have changed the back. They've changed the frame. But always the prints come back. So the house passed to a man named Ruffin Sterling. He expanded it, made it a little bit bigger, um, and he's the one who gave it the name of the Myrtles because it was surrounded by crepe myrtle trees, which are everywhere down here. They bloom something awful, they get all over your car, but regardless, that's why it's named the Myrtles. It passed from him to a man named William Winter, who was a lawyer. Dr. Winter provides us with another ghost tale for the house. Uh, one evening, he was sitting in his parlor, and he was called out by a man on horseback to his porch. Uh, a man to see the lawyer, or a man to see the advocate. However, they would have said lawyer in the 1800s. And he stepped out onto the side porch, was immediately shot. He staggered back into the home, managed to make it about halfway up the staircase to the 17th step where he died. According to stories, you can still hear the entire thing reenacted from the call to the gunshot to the steps up to the 17th step and eventually, you know, the man dying. You can still hear it to this day. Sometimes it is reenacted. The home has been featured on Unsolved Mysteries, Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, and Travel Channel Show, Most Terrifying Places in America. When I worked there, uh, it was about the same time that the sci-fi ghost hunters were there. Um, They did their little episode while I was working there, just to give you a... I gave haunted tours, I told ghost stories, and I made reservations for customers, just in general things that you would do at a bed and breakfast because it is also a bed and breakfast you can spend the night in this house if you have the gonads to do that so i was giving a tour one evening this is the only personal experience i have i wasn't there very long this is the only experience i have and i'll leave it up to you to decide if it's an actual experience or not um, i was giving a tour one evening i was in the center hall where the mirror that i mentioned earlier is and i was probably talking about it i was up on the second or third step i'm a little short i wanted to be able to see everybody i wanted everybody to see me and I'm talking, everybody's paying attention, nobody's doing anything, and all of a sudden I hear people arguing. And I realize it's coming from the room, which is above me on that side of the house. There's only one room on the second floor of that side of the house. And, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little frustrated with it, because it's, it's a little loud. It eventually calms down, we move on into the rest of the house. So I'm talking to a couple of guys after the tour, and they mentioned it to me. They said, did you hear that? And I was like, yeah, it was obnoxious. (laughs) You know, I was trying to give a tour. I wasn't really so happy about it. And they said, yeah, we kind of felt the same way. We didn't really think any, we weren't trying to think it was paranormal. It was just, you know, it was kind of rude if these people knew that I was trying to give a tour. Why were they being so loud? It was sort of that kind of conversation. So I finished locking up. I said goodbye to everybody. I made sure I was, I was the last one there. There was no other workers there that night. Um, I was made sure everything was locked up and that, you know, the people who were staying had everything they needed before I left. And as I'm locking up the guest house, I decide, you know, on a whim, I was just like, you know what, let me just check the guest book. So I checked it, and there was nobody staying in the room where I heard that argument happening. And I was a little unnerved by that. You know, I I understand it's a big house. There's a, a lot of grounds around it. So I know it could have been coming from anywhere. I dig that. But I swear it came from that room where I heard it was coming from. So that was my only experience. Um, my parents had stayed there in the early 80s before I was born, and they had a couple of experiences. Um, I got their stories from them separately. Uh, they divorced when I was very young, and they never mentioned it until I started working there when I was in college, and I asked them about their experiences separately. And this is what they told me. So they stayed there. They were taking a tour as part of their package, pretty much the same tour that I gave. And 
in the main hallway where that mirror and that staircase was that I mentioned earlier, there's a piano. Um, it's still there to this day. Backs up underneath the stairs against a wall. And my dad was standing next to this piano. The tour group was in front of him, most likely facing the mirror. And there was another man on the other side of the piano, but there was nobody behind them. Everybody was in front of them. And as she's talking, he's listening. And all of a sudden, one of the keys on the piano plays. Just ding. And he could see the man out of the corner of his eye. And he said, the man didn't move. The, the key played by itself. And my dad had his arms crossed. The guy had his arms crossed. There was nobody around that could have reached and played it without my dad seeing it. So he thought that was a little interesting. So that night, um, as they're trying to go to bed, my dad, he couldn't sleep. He was a little keyed up from the tour and, you know, everything that was going on. And so he's just sort of laying there relaxing and all of a sudden he hears footsteps. And he's like, okay, well, it's just another guest. They were staying in the main house on the second floor. There's a couple of rooms with, that had access to where they were. And so he thought it was just somebody, you know, walking around the house. It's an old house. You hear footsteps across the house. Sounds like it's right next to you. And so he's listening and it comes, he, he realizes it sounds more like it's in his room. Starts getting a little nervous. And he says, it sounded like it went from the doorway around the bed to his side of the bed, paused and then sort of walked towards the bathroom and faded out. Said it didn't really go away or leave, it just sort of faded. And he said the craziest thing about it was that, and what really got him was that he could hear a dress swishing across the floor as it walked around the side of the bed. He said it absolutely terrified him. Uh, He did not look because he was just too scared. Eventually, tried to make it back to sleep, was almost there a couple hours later, (laughs) And uh, started hearing a baby crying. And he said that it was the most heartbreaking sound he had ever heard in his life. This was before my sister and I were born. But he said that we never made a sound. We never cried like this. It was just so heart-wrenching. And it eventually faded. And he just, he couldn't sleep after that. He just kind of laid there with his eyes closed, hoping nothing else would happen. So I asked my mom, you know, what happened when you were there? She never mentioned the piano. She was uh, somewhere else in the group. She never mentioned it. But she did mention at night that she heard the footsteps. And she thought my dad was asleep. So she didn't wake him up. She didn't want to do anything. She thought she was hearing something. So she kind of cracked an eye open. And she said she saw a shadow walking through the room. And she got very scared. Again, she was also keyed up. So, you know, neither one of them thought to ask if it was a lost guest or something, which is entirely possible. So they both saw the same thing. And then she, again, also was about to fall back asleep a couple hours later, and she was almost there, and then she heard the baby crying too. And she said it woke her fully up, and she could still hear it once she was fully awake, and she kept trying to locate it. She kept trying to figure out where it was coming from. And she said it was like it kept moving. It would be outside, and then it would be downstairs, and then it would be upstairs across the hall, or it would be further away in the woods surrounding the house. And she said she couldn't pinpoint where it was coming from. It was like it just floated in and out. And at the same time where she could hear it, it, she said it was like it was in her head. Like she just couldn't, it, it was like an echoing sound just in her head. She said it was the craziest thing she'd ever heard in her life. And she's never forgotten it. And she said the same thing. She said, you know, Lauren, you and your sister never cried like that. I've never heard anything like it in my life. Um, I'm pretty sure she hasn't been back to the house. I don't even think she came when I worked there. 
you know, in the morning they're sitting at breakfast. It is a bed and breakfast. And, you know, they're talking about what happened. My mom and, you know, they, they're talking about, oh, it was a fine night. Nobody wanted to mention the shadow. They were, they didn't want to seem silly. And my mom thought she would mention the child. She said, look, this poor baby kept crying all night. You know, is, is everything okay? You know, is something sounded sick? And the woman who was working at the time kind of looked and she was like, you know, there weren't any babies staying here last night. There were no children. There was nobody. It was just a few couples who were staying. My mom was pretty freaked out by that. It's a very interesting home from a historical point of view as well as, you know, a, a ghostly point of view. I've had a long history with it. I've been several times. My family's been. I work there. So it's a very different, very interesting place. Um, so thanks, Derek. Thank you, listeners, for giving me a few minutes. Appreciate what you do, Derek, and keep it up. Are you guys familiar with yeah, this? Yeah, we've, uh, we've actually covered that, I believe, on one of our shows in the, in the past couple of years. Nice. There's actually nice. quite a few haunted plantations in Louisiana. There's also a really interesting book that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, about that exact thing is haunted plantations all over the South. I think it's pretty creepy the fact that uh, she herself, of course, she seemed very well versed on the actual story as well as having to work there when she was in college. And then she mentioned like her parents having experiences themselves when they were younger. So, you know, I, if you look on the Internet, there's some of the pictures that of what supposedly is Chloe to me. Some of them look kind of photoshopped. So don't believe all those pictures. But I definitely <laughs> believe that the. That there's something going on there. And like just because of that, um, you know, much like the, the battles of the Civil War here in this plantation where slavery and the cruel treatment of Chloe and the things like wherever there's something terrible or sorrowful, it's like that area is imprinted forever. Yeah. So I think yeah. that that's reason why there's so many of those haunted plantations. But that would certainly explain uh, the, the reason for all this activity. Mm-hmm. There's another thing here that I'm, I'm curious about, and Lauren actually brings it up. She mentioned that her parents may have been keyed up, meaning that uh, they were going to the plantation knowing that it was haunted and expecting to have some sort of experience. Uh, I'm going to kind of blanket statement this with most of these calls we've covered tonight. Do you think that plays into some of this stuff where you know they read about this museum, they know it's haunted before they go, so any strange thing that happens is immediately attributed to a ghost. I believe that 100%. Uh, Kyle and I have had this discussion for several years now about when you go out with the intent of, let's say, finding Bigfoot. Kyle and I say that all the time. When you go into the woods, dead set on the intent of, I've heard that there's cases that it's been seen through here and we've heard people have seen it here and whatever it is. When you preface it in your mind like that, you've already set yourself up to start receiving that. So when you get into the woods... Any little noise that you can't instantly put your finger on, whether you like it or not, you want to attribute it to the unknown, and then that wants to be attributed to, let's say, Bigfoot. I think you can easily do the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think if, mm-hmm. if all of these places were to never report they were haunted, and there was nothing ever online, and there was no place to find anything about haunted, you would probably receive much fewer reports. Right, yeah. But I believe that yeah. when you go in there with that intent, and that being said – Maybe that intent is what manifests some of these things as you go in there. Like we talk about thought forms and we talk about tulpas and the, the, for the human being to manifest certain things. So it could be, of course, you know, either way, it could be the pendulum of one way or the other. But I think if you go in thinking or hoping that you're going to have some sort of experience, you're either going to, to credit something that might not be a true experience to it 
or you're going to set yourself up for a complete failure and you're going to be unimpressed with where you just went. Whereas if you go in, try to be as even killed middle of the road as you can, that seems to be a lot of times whenever people have the experience, like they're, it's almost like it's trying to impress them. Yeah. And like Cam said, we actually had a gentleman on before that was like into researching Bigfoot and he was, you know, contacted by a particular group that were going out to this area. I don't remember what state it was in and they were doing the wood knocking and the whooping and stuff and they were getting responses and they'd been out, you know, doing this for years and they're all of a sudden they started getting responses and he was interested. He went out there and then he got a, a call from another group that was in the same area and they were claiming that they were having a lot of success. So he accompanied them and it turned out it was one group of researchers wood knocking and then another group of researchers wood knocking back and whooping back and <laughs> forth. And it was just people. Uh, I'm not surprised at all, and, and I think I've heard this joke a couple times that you're, you're watching like Finding Bigfoot, and of course they're up on a hillside like howling into the wind, and and they're just and they're right. getting answers from other people doing the same thing, and that's always the running joke. And it, you might be onto something there. I mean, that could explain uh, that that makes more sense than a big hairy monster in the woods. It's not more fun, but it makes more sense. It, it, right? It does. It does make sense to me. So I, yes, I think if you're going in in that mindset, you may be more susceptible to being fooled or like cam said the spirits or whatever they are know that you're in tune and, and looking for that and so they start you know you've seen the shows where please make a sound if you're here or you want us to leave turn the light off or you know i, I think both things are happening yeah yeah well, Myrtle's Plantation is certainly uh, high on the list of haunted places in the United States, and it's definitely a, a high on my list of places I want to visit. I am excited to know that it is a bed and breakfast, so I might actually try to stay there if I ever make it down Yeah, that that'd direction. be cool. I'll let you guys know what happens, or you can come by and have a nightcap. We'll just all go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We'll just have a conference yeah, or something. Yeah, we'll just all set up. What? Everybody just bra- grab a camera, and let's just head that way and see what happens. You saying that there was a very interesting hotel in Cimarron, New Mexico, yep. that me and you, me and Cam have both been to, and it's the same kind of thing. You can stay the night there. If you go down to the bar, there's bullet holes in the ceiling and stuff where gunfights went. That's awesome. And uh, there's like two rooms that they do not rent out to people. And according to the staff, uh, like they made a deal with the ghost that they wouldn't rent out that room. And since they made that deal, like the activity has died way down. But I don't know. It'd still be cool to go to. The St. James Hotel yeah, that's in Cimarron, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Very interesting. I'll have to look that place up. I haven't heard of it. Well, guys, uh, we're down to our final call of the evening. And this one is a little bit different from the rest. I really enjoyed this one, so I, I kind of saved it to the last. So to move things along here, I would like to welcome Sean to the program all the way from Canada. Uh, Sean, let's hear it. Hey, Derek. This is for your museum episode. Now, I don't work in a museum, but my, I had an experience at a museum, so I figured why not submit the story. So this takes place in my hometown of Glace Bay, which is in Nova Scotia, at a museum called Cape Breton Miners Museum. It's on the shores of the Atlantic Ocean. It's an old coal mine that they've converted into a museum, so you can go down into the mines, and old miners would tell tales and stories of how the mine operated and whatnot. But anyways... I was about 17 or 18 years old. Me and my best friend were down skateboarding late at night, probably 2 or 3 in the morning. I mean, this is something we did all the time. Being out that late skateboarding was a regular thing for us at that age. But we figured we would skate down to the museum and skate some curbs. And during that, we decided to take a break and kind of just lean up against the side of the building. Beside a bay door, I guess. It wouldn't be a bay door. It's more like an emergency exit or a loading door. So we're leaning up against these doors and we could hear commotion from inside the building. Now, 
it's three in the morning. So we're thinking, what the hell is all this noise? So we put our ears up to the door. Uh, it's like an aluminum door. And we could hear what sounded like people talking, sound like rail cars moving, like that sound of uh, a sword being sharpened, like the rails against the car wheel. It sounded like the mine was just in full swing. And it was really bizarre because, again, it's like three in the morning. So me and my buddy, we look at each other and we're like, holy crap, this is pretty messed up. Like this place has to be haunted, right? Like crazy. So we leave and don't really think much of it until about a week later, we're skateboarding downtown, which is probably only three or four kilometers away from the museum. And we're telling our friends that we think the mine's haunted because we could hear all these crazy sounds and whatnot coming through the doors. So about, I don't know, six or seven of them were like, well, let's all go right now. And again, it's really late. It's probably two in the morning. So we all walk down, skate down to the museum and we don't go to the front doors. Okay. So around the perimeter of the building, there's quite a few loading doors, I guess you would say. So we split up into a couple groups. I'm at the same door I was at the week before with two new people and we all have our ears to the door and everybody's kind of hushing each other so they could hear. And sure enough, we start hearing the commotion and the noise and what sounds like men yelling. You can't exactly make out what they're saying, but you know they're saying things. You could hear mines, just rail cars and just a lot of noise. And they back away from the door and they're looking at me and I'm like, told you, I friggin' told you. So they're like, everybody's wanting to hear because... Everybody's at different doors, but not all the doors have the noise. So everybody's kind of crowding around the doors and trying to get a listen. So we go back to listening again. And while our ears are to the door, we hear a click. And what the click was, was the inside push bar on the door to open the door up clicked. And we all stepped back from the door, me and two other people. And we looked at each other like, what the hell was that? And the doors slowly opened just enough where you could tell that they were opening. Now, if I recall correctly, I don't believe there's handles on the outside of these doors. Just the inside to push them open. And one of my buddies, a bit of a tough guy, he grabbed on, he put his fingers between the little opening in the doors, and he swung the doors wide open, yelling in like, come on, or whatever he yelled into the museum. And when those doors open, it was like a lightning show was going off inside this place. It was literally like if someone was turning the lights off, off and on, off and on, off and on, as fast as they could. Some people said they could see a guy. When I look back in it, in my mind's eye, it seems like, it feels like tiles were falling from the roof. It, it just didn't make sense. But when he swung the doors wide open, they slammed back shut. But for the brief, I don't know, second or two of it happening, you could tell it was just mayhem inside that building with the lights just flicking on and off crazy. So we all run away. We're all nervous. And there's some girls screaming and some dudes who are upset. And I'm thinking, we're going to get in trouble for break and enter. So we better get the hell out of here because we definitely probably set off an alarm or something. Anyway, my buddy Fee, he decides he's going to investigate this further and find out whether or not there's security at this place during the night that could have been messing with us. Or do they play recordings of the mine? Just anything to kind of validate what was happening. So it turns out they don't have security at this museum. It's just, you know, I think there's like not a whole lot of staff that even work there in the first place. It's pretty low budget. They do their best and there's no security. There was no talk of an alarm going off. Nothing. They basically told him, no, they don't play recordings. There's nothing like that. So we were kind of baffled after the fact. But I was meaning to submit this story to you 
long ago because I love your podcast. And before I decided I was going to submit the story that I figured I would do a little bit of uh, investigation myself because I know you would. So I Google Cape Breton Miners Museum hauntings. And of course, quite a few articles come up. Men have died in the mine while working. But one in particular is about a staff member who states that there is a ghost there or a presence that opens and slams doors. And how interesting is that? Because that's exactly what happened to us that night. That door opened up for us and it was wild. So uh, I hope you could use this for your museum episode. I really enjoy your podcast. I love hearing crazy, creepy stories. Anyways, thanks. Bye. Wow. Um, That's very cool. The fact that they weren't aware of that place being haunted. And then later after their experience, they looked it up and that's exactly what they saw. I also like the part where they like when they slung the doors open, the lights were flashing like a rave or something was going on in there. That's crazy. Something that sounds you know, to me like something like poltergeist activity. Yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. And I thought it was pretty interesting. His uh, mentioned that, you know, him and his buddy found it first. They, it didn't sound like they thought it was paranormal. They just thought it was some weird activity going on in there, uh, meaning uh, malfunction or something along those lines. And it wasn't until he brought the entire group that they all started to think this may be supernatural. Yeah, no. I pictured the Faraday cage, like yeah. just a blue light just yeah. crackling and jumping off of everything in there. And then imagine going back and there's nothing in there. You're like, wait a second. Wait a second. It's like Ghostbusters when Dana opens the fridge yes, door. Yeah, I, I picture there was probably a time machine in that warehouse, and they opened it just as it was leaving. Wait, was this Indiana Jones' yeah, warehouse? Yeah, they never claimed what it was, right. <laughs> well, you know, he, he also mentions the coal mining, and again, that's tragedy. That's hardship. That's heartache. Um, if you guys have ever known anybody that worked in the mines, I knew some older guys, you know, when I was younger that they had black lung, they could barely talk. It's not if the mine and coal is going to kill you, it's uh, how and when. Uh, it seems like it's a super dangerous job. So anytime you have elements like that in a location like this with history combined, there's ghosts. Again, it just the same things keep popping up. And over I and could over. also see how you would mistaken it for somebody messing with you. As a kid, oh, yeah. we had some power lines get blown down in a storm and they were just enough where they were dancing along a no climb fence around the roping arena. And so it would hit along the, the arena fence and it would throw balls about the size of a volleyball. It looked like of electricity would roll down the fence and then get on the ground. And I, man, I wasn't, I couldn't been more than about 11 or 12. And I remember seeing it and getting out of the house. And this is like 11 o'clock at night and walking down to where it was at. Like, what is going on? Just, not, of course, having a clue till you get up and see it's, a, of course, electricity. And then you're like, ah, and you back up. But the blue light and the sound, if you didn't know what that was, and you heard it and you slung open a building that was supposed to be abandoned and power was still on and hot dancing in there causing that, there's no telling what you would think. But when you find out that there's way more and also there's, of course, no downed power lines in there, well, then it changes everything. Yeah. We also have these theories about uh, ghosts or spirits using electricity to manifest themselves or to manifest different activities. And if there is some, let's say there is some sort of malfunction in there with their electricity, let's, I don't even know what would cause what he uh, yep. described. Uh, every single junction box in the building is arcing or something. Maybe that helps explain what's going on there. Uh, maybe they're drawing some of this energy and that's why they're able to manifest. Uh, I realize this is, really throwing some theories out there, but, uh, you know, 
we're we're in good company, so there's no problem throwing out wild theories and nah. sticks. And I always think about the Terminator. Yeah, you remember cyber the time travel? Yeah, and it's just bouncing yeah. off yeah. the alleyways. They're sending back a T-800 to find Sarah Connor. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome stuff. Well, guys, uh, that's that's the end of the program, and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit down with me. We really went through some calls here. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of them to get through, and, and uh, there's some really good stories. And a lot of, of like we said, uh, ideas that keep coming up, uh, call after call after call. So I don't know if it's a museum thing or if it's just uh, this is just the nature of the paranormal uh, but these all seem to uh, to have some sort of connection to it, which which I enjoyed. Uh, but uh, while we're here, why don't you guys tell us where you can find uh, Expanded Perspectives, when you guys release new shows. Uh, let us know about you guys before we get out of here. Absolutely. The name of our show is Expanded Perspectives. We've been doing it since like 2013, so seven years now. Uh, we do a show every week. Uh, it, we used to release every Monday, but now it's just with our schedules. It's, but we always release every a show every week. We also have a... Uh, paid for show called expanded perspectives elite and same kind of thing we release extra content every month uh, you can sign up for that by going to the website expandedperspectives.com uh, clicking on the elite tab and you'll have access to our entire back catalog that's like 238 episodes i think are there and uh, that's only five dollars and you have access to all that uh, our show is not like yours we don't really have that many call-ins but we explore things like mysteries, uh, cryptids, uh, UFOs, all, all stuff's paranormal. Me and like we said, me and Cam have been lifelong friends and we've had a love for the paranormal. And, and uh, we would love to have some people come over and check us out. You can find us on all, you know, any place you find podcasts, whether it's iTunes, uh, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, all, all the places. YouTube. We got it on yeah, YouTube. YouTube. And we, of course, we've got Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff, too. Awesome, awesome, and and I'll be honest and, and and say that sometimes when I'm researching a topic and I see you guys did an episode on it, that's one of the first places I click. I'm like, oh, Cam and Kyle are going to tell me about it. That's awesome because I know all the information is going to be there. Uh, there's experience you guys talk about. There's the information. There's the history. Your opinions, and you guys do it with flair and an entertaining style. And you guys obviously have a great relationship that uh, shows through the podcast. So if you guys like spooky stuff and you're listening to this, so you obviously do, go check out Expanded Perspectives. Yeah, today. man. Thank you so much for having us on. Uh, I was very interested in getting together and talking about museums, but now after listening to all the stories at all these museums, I'm not so sure I want to go to any museums. Now I think I'm out. <laughs> the funny thing is, I'm thinking I might put a list together of different museums to go to now. <laughs> I'm a glutton we're for punishment. We're going to tune in and listen because we're not going. Oh, it'll be a video. You'll you'll see me die. Oh, perfect. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> you'll see me get possessed or whatever. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Sarah Carter Hayes. All audio used in this production has done so under the protection of fair use. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week.
All right, guys. Well, this is the secret story, and uh, we still have our guest with us, Cam and Kyle. This story is not a museum piece. This story is a Glimmer Man piece. And if I'm not mistaken, you guys coined the phrase Glimmer Man. Is that correct? This is, yeah, this is true. I guess we have to take credit for that. I'd, yeah, it's something we've spoken to you about and to a lot of people about is this is one of those things that doesn't make a lot of sense. And to be honest, we've got a lot of information on it still and a lot of other stories that have been sent to us about all this Glimmer Man stuff that it leaves you with way more questions now. So I'm so excited for this now. We had no idea it was a real thing. We thought it was like when we first saw the story or two about it, we thought that would be it. But it turns out after we did an episode and other people, much like we talked about, when other people heard about the Glimmer Man, they decided to come forward and tell their story of the Glimmer Man. And, you know, the name just kind of stuck. Yeah. It's the perfect name for, you know, a creature like this. And people were calling it the predator creature and stuff like that. It just didn't really roll off the tongue. But, man, Glimmer Man does. That, that's fit for a T-shirt, I believe. So without further delay, uh, this is Eric's call from my state of California. And again, this is the Glimmer Man. Hi, Derek. This is Eric from California. I wanted to call in. I've done that before, and thank you for posting those episodes. I was reminded of maybe a Glimmer Man experience when I was a kid outside of Atlanta, Georgia. I lived in like Dunwoody Roswell area in a apartment, or actually it was an apartment complex yet, we would move there because of this incident. It actually really scared my mom. We were in townhouses. And the second line of townhouses, let's say our street made a square. So we were the right angle. We were the y-axis. They were the x-axis. And behind their house was a wooded area. And that wooded area was immediately sloping down. It was a hill. I was probably about five or six years old. I had a big wheel, and my neighbor, who lived two doors down, was a little bit younger than me, um, but he was cognizant and smart, and so I'd play with him and kind of just, you know, it was a neighborhood kid, neighborhood friend. So we were racing our big wheels, and we ran behind the x-axis track of townhouses. Well, he sped before me because I slowed down. And to my left is a big fence lining the backyard of these, what, quarter, eighth, sixteenth acre properties of townhouses. And then to the right are the woods. Well, out of the woods, something compelled me to stop. And it wasn't like, I mean, I decided it, I agreed with it, but it was like, I just had to stop. It was as if something was in front of me. And in my memory, nothing's there. I can see the woods and I can see myself. I, can, I, I, I remember stopping on my big wheel. Well, then I'm lifted off the ground. And my mom always told me, you know, she taught me how if somebody stops and asks you, you know, if you want some candy or to see their puppies, you run the opposite way. You run backwards because it's harder for them to drive in reverse. That's how you get away. I wanted to do that. I couldn't because I was five feet off the ground. I was being lifted out of the air and I still to this day can feel hands grabbing me. Something like hands. I think hands were just the only thing I could and I can compare it to. 
in any case, while I was up in the air being held up by this invisible being or figure, because something was there, like I felt it and I knew it was there. It was very cognizant, but it wasn't visual. I could see my friend who had beaten me in the race looking back and the look of terror and horror on his face. It was uh, something I can't etch out of my mind. The look of shock, how wide his eyes were. So I know that I'm not alone in this experience. I know you've mentioned some Glimmer Man stuff, and I didn't know what it was called. But when I described it to the police officer, because once it set me back down slowly, and then I just sped off, and we ended up like finishing our race, sure, but we weren't finishing our race. We were running for our lives. And then we ran into our separate houses. And I told my mother, someone just picked me up. And in my memory, I black out. But I come to and I'm talking to a police officer. And she asked me to describe him, what he looked like. And I said he had dreadlocks. I don't know why I said that. But when you mentioned that these people have these glimmer man experiences with people with dreadlocks. Not people, these invisible beings that look like predator. It kind of all made sense. So maybe I'm really lucky. Who knows? I really appreciate the show. I'm going to continue binge listening, but I just wanted to call in and contribute to this chaos you have going. Now, thank you so much, Derek. So uh, what do you guys think? I mean, I'll call you guys the experts on Glimmer Man. You, you coined the phrase. What do, you, what do you think this situation, does this uh, sound indicative of a Glimmer Man experience, or is this something completely off the wall and different? It's very different in the fact that it interacted with him, like, physically. It physically picked him up. And most of the interactions you get, it's almost like they are laying in wait or they are watching and trailing you, but never truly interacting like that with you. So to, to hear him discuss, it picked him up, and he's describing this whole thing. That's a very strange thing. The deal with the dreadlocks, I have no idea. That's a very odd point of that whole deal like because i mean that's the way the predator looks in the movies mm-hmm. of all the predator so it's but so man i don't know that part's i've not heard one described yet that we've received of the of the dreadlocks i have not heard one about the actual dreadlocks being described but so many witnesses that's exactly what they claim is this thing looked like the creature the predator from the movie now not the alien when it's not cloaked when it's cloaked that's what it looks like it looks like the figure of a man bipedal, but it's blurry. I I remember one of the earliest recordings ever, uh, sightings that was ever sent to us was the guy said it looked like saran wrap almost Mm -hmm. and that you couldn't quite focus on it. And so there's lots of theories out there. Some people, some of the experiencers believe that it's extraterrestrial. Some think it's demonic. Some people even think that it's fey folk because a lot of the sightings that where people encounter these, they are walking, minding their own business, like say going for a hike or hunting, and, and they all of a sudden feel this foreboding, this dread come over them, and then they start getting the feeling that they're being watched. And then somehow they'll notice the movement in the trees, and they'll see it. But almost every one of the sightings that happens, whatever this is, it notices you noticing it. Hmm. And it doesn't seem to like it. It'll often hide behind trees, things like that. Sometimes it's described as having glowing eyes, but nothing outrageous. Like it's never 12 feet tall. It's always like just six to seven feet tall, the shape of a man, but it's somehow 
trying to camouflage itself, but like it's not working properly, like it's messing up and it knows like, oh man, why does this person see me? They're not supposed to be able to see me. And then they'll either slink off or disappear. I know that people have also said that they think it's like the military or some secret organization testing out some high tech camouflage. I, I don't know. I will say this on it, and this is one of those little caveats that's very, very strange when you look into this whole Glimmerman thing. When I say the name Joseph Allen Hynek, a lot of people don't know that his first name was Joseph, but they know him as J. Allen Hynek. And J. Allen mm-hmm. Hynek was a – he's the like UFOs researcher. He is the man that was the scientific advisor for UFO studies for the United States Air Force. Yeah, Project Blue Book. And Pro- Grudge mm-hmm. and Project Sign. So he did all three of those. I bring him up because the strangest thing about that is, is Heineck and his wife, they have five kids. That's not strange. The strange thing is his son, Joel, won an Oscar as a visual effects supervisor because he oversaw the design of the camouflage effect in the movie The Predator. Oh, wow. So you take that little tidbit for whatever you want to take it for, but it's almost like, did he hear his dad talk about something? Right. Was there something from that whole deal? I don't know. But that little bitty thread could lead to a whole sweater. We just have to chase it down. Yeah, for the uninitiated, I mean, J. Allen Hynek went in, was hired to look into the UFO phenomenon, was a skeptic at first, was Mm -hmm. not convinced of it being real. And then over the years of studying it, he was completely convinced that it was real by the time he retired. And much like Cam's saying, it's awfully odd that his son was the visual director for The Predator, which, I mean – it makes you wonder because we before we knew that information because we didn't know that originally. No, not originally. When we started taking these sightings of the Glimmer Man, we that just was, thought like, I wonder how the director came up with that. Did he perhaps hear a sighting from somebody and then decided, yeah, let's let's use that in the movie? But now, knowing that it was Jay Allen Hynek's son, I absolutely convinced that his father probably told him something, or he saw a video or a photo or something along those lines. And we've received. Different sightings that happened years before the movie. Before the movie, mm-hmm. so oh, that's that's interesting as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things that it goes further back than I think any of us realized, and it's there's not enough to it to be a sighting like you would have with Bigfoot or with even with Dogman or any of these cryptids. There's not enough there, but there is a little tiny subculture of people that have had an encounter with Glimmer Man, and that whole thing. It's one of those like Kyle brought up. What is it? What could it be? Is it is it terrestrial? Is it extraterrestrial? Is it multidimensional? Is it evil? Is it not? There's so many things that's all done off visual for the way we comprehend what we're dealing with. And when you don't have that visual any longer, it's just on the periphery lingering and following you, of course, until this this last encounter we just heard here. Until that point, it's hard to put your your finger on what it is. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys see uh, Missing 411, The Hunted, that recently yes. came out? So you guys saw the Glimmer Man segment in that film? Yes, yes. towards the end, The Woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's uh, Ohio. It's really close to where I went to college, actually, maybe uh, 20 miles, something like that. Uh, actually, no, it's probably more like 40 miles now I think about it. But uh, either way, like it seems like these things are all over the place. This one was in Georgia. That was Ohio. I've had several from uh, Idaho, uh, some of my famous ones from Idaho, Justin and Harley up there, and some California as well. I had a few from California. Is there any sort of 
regional trend as to where these things may be? Are they close to military bases? Are they uh, in certain states and not others? Do you guys notice anything with that? Wooded areas. It seems to be now we've got a few that have come from people have seen in like a in town, but it seems to be mostly encountered by those in wooded areas, whether it's like in a park or in a uh, public lands like hunting or fishing or hiking or camping in public lands. It seems to be people encounter them. Look, for the old adage, it's silly where you least expect it. Because, like, you would know going into, like, oh, I'm going in the Pacific Northwest. I'm going to look for Bigfoot. I'm going into the Piney Woods. I'm going to look for Bigfoot. You know, there's certain places, you know, you could go. It's it's almost like their habitat has no true rhyme or reason, kind of like we don't know what they're doing here. It's like – because you think about it, aside from the mild uh, wavering appearance that they have or the slight magnification they may give or their edge, whatever it is, if they're not moving – you're going to walk right by them. Most people are looking at their phone anyway. So they're going to walk right by whatever it is if it's very still. And if you apply that same into the way that modern hunters and and we have to get close to game animals, it's all about your smell and movement. So if you can contain those two, it doesn't really matter what you're wearing. Well, now imagine you're containing your smell, your movement, and your visual. So they can't even see you once you're still. You're clear aside from a slight variant. So they could actually be anywhere. Yeah. Um, we've most of the sightings we've been received are from the United States. I think we did receive one from Poland, but just much like some of the Bigfoot sightings, there are uh, UFO activity noticed before or after or within days of the of a sighting. So I don't know if that has any correlation or not. But when I, when it comes to extraterrestrials and things like that, some of the times when the people talk about it notices them seeing them. It reminds me of botched alien abductions. I'm not sure you're familiar with those, but there are some famous cases where whatever they use to put somebody under hypnosis to abduct them, it's like it doesn't work on everybody. And there are stories where people wake up and then the extraterrestrials are kind of like baffled. Like, why are they awake? Like, why do they, why are they seeing what we're doing? It's like, it doesn't work. And I'm wondering the same type of thing with the glimmer man is like, it's probably like, oh crap, why does it see me? It's not supposed to see me. I, I, I don't know. It's 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 something that I never even heard of ten years ago, and it's like now with shows like yours and like ours and websites like Phantoms and Monsters and things like that, it's getting out there, and it seems like more people. I don't know if the sites sightings themselves are increasing or people are just coming forward now. And Kyle and I have discussed in, in private, we've never really brought it up on the show, but we have laughed and discussed in private that what if the Glimmer Man is a collector for the aliens? Like they <laughs> hire him. Like he's because he's has the ability to blend in. He has the ability to do this. And we've always talked about, well, how come nobody ever sees an abduction? Well, if it's at night, you have the ability to do what he does and you work for or with the aliens. It would be real easy to pull that move off. And then also people have also written us and talked about could it be uh, an explanation for the people that have gone missing in the backcountry and the missing – like in some of the missing 411 cases. Yeah. Which was what he sort of hinted at in that film anyway. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's very disturbing because there's no box to put it in. And, and, and as, you know, as human beings, we like to have some title, hence the name Glimmer Man. Like we have to give it something – so we can feel like it's feasible at this point. Now it's it's something we can grasp. 
Yeah, and and let's let's not forget that the government recently has come forward and, and has acknowledged yes. that there's off-world vehicles that they've that are flying around. So it just makes you wonder uh, what else do they know? What did Jalen Hynek find out? Perhaps the movie The Predator is really just a more far-fetched version of they they they're aware of this intergalactic hunter coming to Earth. I, I don't know. Man, that could you imagine finding out that that, that thing is real? <laughs> right. I mean, it may not look like that, but maybe just the cloaked form. Uh, a lot of people have told me that they think it's like demonic. Um, and some people have even talked about that they've manifested it by they were in a bad place of their life when they had the encounter. Oh, interesting. So I, I don't know, but it's very, very interesting. You know, one thought that I keep thinking about these, and, and I am not a smart man by any means, so I'm going to botch this, but uh, I know that there's other dimensions that we just can't experience. I, I don't know the details of all this. Maybe you guys do and can fill me in. But I do know that if there are higher dimensions, we necessarily can't see those or, or we can't see those correctly. So, you know, this may be like a fifth dimensional being and he appears like this glimmer shape because we just simply can't see into his dimension. We're just not wired for it, for lack of a better term. Uh, does any of that hold water at all? Does it make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, theoretically, we live in a multiverse and there's an intimate, uh, infinite a number of Derek Hayes out there, uh, all with little slight differences. I feel bad for every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so that, that's what's been theorized. I've even heard crazy theories as like it's a multidimensional, like say Disneyland and somewhere, somewhere else, People like go to a theme park and they're able to eavesdrop on us here in this world and they're and they're cloaked much like say you could pay an admission and go spy on ancient Egypt. Right. And you could walk oh, wow. the streets and, and see what was going on. But no one there would be able to see you. I think a lot of people would be interested in something like that. It'd be very cool. I, it's all theories, folks. Nobody sure, knows. what sure, it is. Sure. But uh, I mean, it may even be just a, another form of ghosts for all I know. That's a very good point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, whatever they are, they're they're terrifying and fascinating at the same time, and they don't seem to be letting up. I, I keep receiving calls, and and I knew that when I had you guys on, I had to share a Glimmerman call. So I'm glad I had that one in the the back pocket there to share. So a big thank you to Eric, and a big thank you to you guys for sticking around to the end of this thing. Uh, again, go listen to Expanded Perspectives. It's an excellent show. These guys are amazing. They've been good friends of me for a long time. Uh, thanks guys so much for coming on and, uh, have a great night. Thank you. Thanks, man.